0: so it's a holiday meaning mark and i are literally the only two people in the building that's because kevin's down in i believe florida kevin you're in florida correct
4: i am um yeah anna maria island so we we flew into tampa on saturday it's about i guess 45 minutes ish from the airport it, it kind of hit me you know when you sent that email last night because you are in charge of the pop quiz today um so kudos to you for that effort and i thought to myself why didn't i do vacation on this day because this is the day where on the show ranking list outside of your 50th birthday this is your favorite show of the year correct
0: <laughs> president's day that's right i i and truth be told Kevin, I'd forgotten, this is terrible to say, I don't want to be like thought of as less a- an American, I had forgotten it was President's Day until late last night, Uh-oh. and I saw someone say that their kids didn't have school today, and I'm like, why not? And I'm like, oh, it's President's Day, I forgot. And then I didn't realize that it's a corporate holiday, so literally we walk in, and Mark and I are the only two people in the building, and then of course you're uh, on, remote, uh, on remote down in Florida. So kudos <laughs> to you, actually, for the dedication, right? <laughs>
4: Well, you know, I, I don't love, like, doing a full week off, and we're, you know, very grateful to have um – you know, a, a, a comrex down here that's able to do uh, the show from a remote standpoint here. Um, but I, I know you're just itching to give us a president's factor, too. So can you kind of lead us off here with a, you know, who's the tallest, who's the shortest? Well, blah, thank blah, you blah. for
0: asking. James Madison at 5'4 is the shortest. I think everybody knows that. The tallest being Abraham Lincoln at one foot higher at 6'4. And we didn't even rehearse that. We didn't even, you could even tell by the delay. There was no way for us to even set that up ahead of time. No, no. <laughs>
4: But it is fun. No, I'm just queuing you up. I, I think I learned from, from, from last year. <laughs> if it's inevitable, just, just let me roll,
0: right? Um, did you watch any of... I'm going to call it, Kevin, and good morning to you, everybody, by the way, on a Monday. Jake Query here along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton as well. President's Day edition. It is Kevin and query here on ninety-three five one zero seven five. The Fan. lot to talk about this morning. We will continue to discuss the... Of course, trajectory and the path for the Colts moving forward. Nate Atkins is going to join us from the Indianapolis Star halfway through the 8 o'clock hour. Alex Golden will join us to talk Pacers as they get set to come back from the All-Star break. That'll be at 9 a.m. But, Kevin, there was a lot that took place this weekend, but let's begin with the most recent. Did you watch any of the glorified layup line that was the NBA All-Star game?
4: Oh, my gosh. It's turned into the Pro Bowl. I, I, yeah, I don't. I thought the exact same I mean, thing. I mean, I'm not going to act like it was some competitive brand of basketball. Yeah, I'm not going to act like it was some competitive brand of basketball in recent years, but. And I lo- laughed very hard at Mike Malone last night, the Nuggets head coach, who coached in the game, saying that was the worst basketball game ever to be played. Usually, that fourth quarter Elam ending, you get a little bit more. Of a, I, I don't know, somewhat competitive close to the game, but it almost seemed like when Giannis exits after, I mean, clearly that was a planned event. He, you know, scored to start the game, fouled on the second play, he's gone, uh, hand or hand or maybe it was LeBron with the hand, and then LeBron leaves at halftime with a hand injury. I, you know, when both the captains are gone, I just felt like you had both teams saying, "All right, screw it, um, this is what we're going to do," um, and and it was. It was true, just layup line, more like three point line to three point line. If you dribble one time inside the arc, you're going to get a layup and get a uh, get a dunk. And uh, I mean, I guess it was a nice night for Tyrese Halliburton. I, I I do think it's a great experience for guys like that. I mean, you watch Halliburton's joy, particularly during the three point contest. You know, meeting Reggie Miller, what he did with that opening round. I mean, that stuff I think is pretty cool. But in the game itself, especially in a load management era, I I don't know any way to correct it.
0: Yeah, the Pro Bowl is exactly what I thought. As I was watching it, I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, it used to be – of course, you go all the way back, you know, to when, like, the, the All-Star game was last year, and, you know, it still was somewhat of a game. You had the the famous incident of Michael Jordan being frozen out because you actually did have ball movement and passing the ball and offensive setups, I, and I get it. I mean, they, they wait until the end to play defense. Well, now, now it's getting serious, but it just – it was rough man I was watching it and I'm like uh, okay I mean this literally is the 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 only suspense of the game was watching from an offensive standpoint players try to figure out which one was the one that goes in to dunk. I mean, it's like, okay, are we supposed to make two passes? Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. Y- yeah, your turn. You know, you go ahead. And poor Nikola Jokic at times looked like he had no clue what was going on because he's the one that's not out there trying to dunk. And he's like, well, what am I supposed to do here? It, it, was, it was awkward for certain. Um, also, Kevin, I'm curious.
4: Sabonis looked like Sabonis looked like me, Jake, at a sixth grade dance. Yes. Like, oh boy, oh geez, what do I do? Oh, step back, 18-footer, oh boy, that's awkward. I just was like, oh man. I mean, Halliburton had 18 for what it's worth. He, he had a couple nice flurries. He, he didn't play until the second and fourth quarter there. And, and then I, I feel like at the end, and boy, what, what a weekend it was for Damian Lillard. I didn't realize Weber State was so close to Salt Lake City. Uh, you saw him rock the Weber State jersey during the three-point contest. He hit the game winner last night. So Team Giannis one eighty five. For Team LeBron, which is where Halliburton was, one seventy-five. Jason Tatum had fifty-five. Yeah, I mean, and
0: fifty-five of which fifty-three were probably uncontested.
4: Um, <laughs> did you watch Tiger over the weekend? Oh, yeah, I mean, come on now. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, Uh, I thought Saturday was huge for him to shoot 67. Um, You know, weekend rounds, first off, are no guarantees for him at this point. That means you make the cut and your body holds up. And 67 was one of the better rounds of the day. And, And two things about Tiger. First off, I thought he actually was walking Okay, I mean, he clearly still has a little bit of an awkward gait and a little bit of a limp. But there were times last year that I was just waiting for him to take a step and fall down, and then he gets carried off. I mean, that, that, that's, that's typically, I feel like, how it's looked, or at least how it looked last year. The other thing, and not to get too into the weeds with it, because I know you're probably already bored with Tiger Talk after a minute. If you look at like his numbers, like the ball speed, club speed, those things, they were like right up there with the upper half of the event. So, considering what he's done to his body, those are positive signs moving forward. So, yeah, I was uh, I I was pretty pleased by by Tigers. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Mark. That gets you going. Thank you, Mark. Early in the morning, of oh, yeah. oh, does uh yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I, I thought that was down the road, Mark. I was looking outside, being like, "Is that a neighbor outside early in this, on this, this Monday morning?" morning? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, when did you get down there, Kevin? What did the weekend consist of for you? So, got down there. Got down here Saturday. I actually watched um, pretty much the entire IU Illinois game on the flight, which was nice, although <laughs> pretty ugly ugly game to be honest with you but one thing indiana's doing this year they didn't do last year is they're winning ugly um so yeah we got down here saturday afternoon boy the whole the whole rent in a car and do you do you usually rent cars when you go to ims race or uh indy car races yeah God, yeah. I just feel like it's such a battle, I, and the line was longer than long. And uh, but yeah, we we got out here probably Saturday evening. When all said and done, a little bit of traffic drove by Tropicana Field. That's got to be one of the uglier structures around.
0: It is such a bizarre looking. And, and by the way. Um the president's circle is the way to go. When you when you get off the plane, they've already got your car set aside. Yeah, okay. just, All right, yeah. But you have to run a lot of cars to get into that circle, my dad. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Eisenhower had that for him, right? <laughs> that's President's Day, right? Yeah, exactly. Sure. I forgot. Mm-hmm. See, that's perfect. They, they have sales today. Uh, Tropicana Field, when you drive past it, is so weird because of the, for those that have never been to it or been past it, it, it always is weird To envision what it must be like on the inside because it looks, it's slanted. So, like, it looks like it's coming in at a 45-degree angle, the stadium itself. Obviously not like that on the inside. But that was one of those stadiums, Kevin, that when they built it, they probably were thinking, like, this is state-of-the-art, awesome, Mm -hmm. and, you know, this is going to revitalize the whole area around it. And people just don't go, right?
4: No, uh, yeah, it's Dick Vitale and Rick Venturi. Those are probably the only two people that are going to <laughs> raise games on a consistent basis. So, yeah, we got out here. Weather's been perfect, and um, no complaints. Rosie's obsessed with the pool, and she's probably just waiting for me at 10.01 to hop in there with her. So, really looking forward to it. We're, we're, we're down here with my family. My, my family's much smaller than Maddie's side of the family. It's just my brother and his wife, and they've got a three-month-old Carter. So, we got a couple babies and Rosie, and, yeah, we're going to – we're. We're gonna definitely relax and enjoy this weather. How is it? Uh, how is it up there? today? How about miniature golf? Are
0: you gonna do any miniature golf?
4: Yeah, we we did that back on our last Florida trip. It was probably the first time I had been miniature golfing since. Is, since, is Ben and Ari still around in Fishers? Wow, is that the one that's like way north, right, right off 37?
0: Yeah, yeah. What's the one that is that the one that's by Grand Park? I know when
4: we went to the Colts training camp. Oh, that's Birdies. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about birdies. Yeah, Ben and Ari's is probably the last time. I'll never forget Maddie on one of our early dates. She was like, oh, you like golf? I'm like, yeah. She's like, don't take me miniature golfing. And I was like, well, that, you know, that seems aggressive. I uh, did Let me take out my date list idea and cross that one <laughs> off the list. Not that I had that on there. But um, she said she had told me that in previous dating experiences, she had uh, beaten the um, the date at miniature golf, and she didn't like that. Oh, that's good for you, right? I, yeah i was like well are you doubting my golfing abilities but miniature golf would be nice um but yeah we got like a little bit of a golf it's kind of a golf cart situation down here um so the house came with one so rosie absolutely loves that so yeah it's a great time okay
0: fair enough we went on um, saturday night i had never been to this place I, shannon heard about it found out about it whatever have you ever heard of gugman I, i'm probably saying it wrong gugman house brewing mark you've been there i have not no Kevin?
4: Yes, I have heard, but but remind me again where? Well, it's on Sixteenth
0: Street, across from the Old Bush Stadium, basically, uh, just behind, just north of that. Uh, but it's it's the original Boyle Specialist oh, right Car Manufacturers, Stadium. exactly. Right, right behind it, and so um, originally it was where th- the facility itself was the headquarters. Boyle Auto Racing back when you know Wilbur Shaw's cars that were built that that won the Indy 500 and they have those on display in there, but it's a huge facility and it's got like a fireplace and leather couches and little board games and then of course beer and and food and whatever else. It was awesome. I, I'd never been there. It was great. Uh, great time now, there. When are you guys Kansas bound? Is that this weekend? Friday after the show. Yep, we go Kansas nice. and West Virginia on Saturday. Uh, Kansas, by the way not that anybody cares here, I realize, but I was watching a little of their game on Saturday against Iowa State. They were down at the half and just absolutely exploded in the second half. That's the thing, Kevin, about when you look at Purdue and Indiana, who who both, you know, obviously Purdue is exceptional and Indiana is very, very good. You look at some of those teams, Houston comes to mind, Kansas comes to mind, they have the ability to catch lightning in a bottle and just in the blink of an eye rattle off, you know, a nineteen point run. I don't know from an offensive explosion standpoint that Indiana has that. Although, but what Indiana and Purdue have are two players that are virtually unstoppable on the inside. But in terms of swinging it out and having big time guard play, I don't know that you have that. But let's begin with Indiana Illinois. You said you watched it. Your thoughts on that game?
4: Yeah, you know, certainly Trish Jackson Davis continuing to be a first team All American, a unanimous. Selection in that, and then I—I I didn't realize he, you know, declared or you know told Jeff Rabjohns and Jeff Goodman and a few others that he's declaring for the draft. Which, you know, I—I I know we've had that debate, Jake. Of okay, his brother's there. Would he come back from an NIL standpoint? It, just seeing that news and watching Jalen hood Shafino again late in a game, which he did have the one turnover but still he continues to make important plays for this team late this is why this season is so important like you have got to take advantage of this year because next year you're just going to be hounding that transfer portal to try and you know kind of bolster and and replace just two You know, great, great players. But I'll kind of go back to what I said earlier, Jake. I mean, it's not like it was perfect on Saturday. Trace Jackson Davis, five turnovers. Hood Shafina with five. I mean, Illinois shoots the hell out of it in the first half. Can't throw it in the ocean in the second half. They're missing their best player. But too often in recent years, and this, this predates Woodson. This is the end of the Crean era, certainly the Archie era. The month of February would arrive, and this team would just wilt. And they would wilt in games, and they would wilt on the scoreboard, in that they would lose those games. And if you go to Saturday, and certainly I think if you go to at Michigan, you know, a couple of weeks ago, or at Minnesota, which probably would have been in January, I mean, Jake, those are three games that Indiana, I would say, played below average. And certainly, you know, the competition in Minnesota's case helps, but you were able to win each of those three games, and I thought Mike Woodson had a really good comment after the game, like this was a separator-type game. You look at the Big Ten standings, it was certainly that. So uh, much needed for Indiana because now you've got two on the road this week. You know, it's going to be a very emotional environment for obvious reasons tomorrow night in East Lansing, their first home game since the tragic shooting last week, and then, of course, the rematch with Purdue coming up on Saturday. And, you know, Purdue's got the week off after – I can't believe Ohio State has turned into like a buy game in the Big Ten, but it has Ohio State
0: is and by the way, I misspoke it was I don't know why I said Iowa State it was Baylor yesterday uh, that Kansas or Saturday that Kansas blew out of the building um yeah, Ohio State Kevin, I don't know I I talked to somebody recently I can't remember who I was talking to that kind of follows Ohio State and they were like, yeah it's not a huge area of concern for Chris Holman because they knew going in that it was going to be a rebuild year they, maybe they've had some injuries. So there wasn't like a lot of expectation, but we're just not accustomed to it, right? We're not, we're not used to seeing Ohio State as, you know, they, Ohio State's flip-flop with Northwestern basically. Northwestern was the game, right, Kev? That like, you know, and they, they, <laughs> yeah.
4: they switched spots. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I'm watching that yesterday. and thinking to myself, boy, can we get Chris Holtman to Notre Dame? But I know the buyout is not. How about Notre Dame almost beating Virginia on Saturday? That was a nice, gutty – the team's playing for Mike Bray. you got to love to see that.
0: <laughs>
4: well, person. honestly, yeah. y- you want to talk about buy games. Jake, was yesterday the low, lowest moment Butler's had in the Big East?
0: <laughs> I, I mean, have we said that? Seems like that's a Monday comment, isn't it?
4: But boy, it seems like yesterday takes the cake. Did I see that correctly? Georgetown, their first road win in two years? Yeah, I mean, well, Georgetown, first off, I mean, that's a
0: whole different talk show, right, uh, as to what in the world has happened with Georgetown. Um, but yeah, 7-21 and 21 now, the Hoyas, 7-21. and 21.
4: And yet, you come in and, and,
0: I mean, you lose by six at home?
4: And again, I get Butler was without Manny Bates, and he's been so critical to them. But boy, you had I don't want to say you had created a ton of positive momentum. But you had won some games recently. I thought played decent at Villanova for a long stretch there. Um, so yeah, just terrible by Butler yesterday and a shout out again. This is a Monday ritual that we say, but Terry Moore and the IU women, Jake, they clinch the big 10. Um, they pull away from Purdue in the second half there. I didn't realize, well, I knew that IU women certainly hadn't had some long big 10 lineage. I didn't realize it had been 40 years though, since a big 10 title. So yeah, they were celebrating.
0: I think they might've even had members of that team out there. Um, yeah the 83 team mm-hmm. and, and you know then south carolina loses an overtime or excuse me wins an overtime over old miss later in the afternoon and you're like man if south carolina had lost indiana's number one in the country in women's basketball um but south carolina holds on to win presumably holds on to the number one ranking my buddy uh, rob whittaker bingo card um mm-hmm. yeah g57 <laughs> for rob mm-hmm. he texted yeah. this question help you out on the diagonal to me the other day which is a really good question kevin If Indiana, if the Indiana women win the national championship this year, which is not a far-fetched... I mean, I I think they are clearly the second-best team in the country, and they're head and shoulders above everyone else except for South Carolina. I'm not saying they couldn't beat South Carolina. I, I mean, it's not like I watch a lot of South Carolina, but they've been dominant. But if Indiana and Terry Morin's group was to win the national championship... Do they put the banner right with the five that the men have won, or does it go on the opposite side that has (laughs) the other accomplishments? Yeah.
4: And and remind me again, the opposite side is like, is it what the Big Ten title with Crean? It's the big that one Big Ten title with Knight when they had a bunch of injuries. Yeah, they have the eighty-three title there. They have I think like the
0: NIT, um, one of the Crean one. I think they actually have like each. They have the banners individual like with all the Big Ten titles. Uh, on, you know, so
4: does IU – I guess, you know, we probably would need to look to see if the IU women have the 83 banner for the Big Ten championship up, or is that – do they just simply add it to Yeah, the that's men's a good work? question, I, I, too. I, I mean, to me, if you win a national title, you throw it right up there with the men. That's what I would say. I mean, national say, title – yeah, pay. national title, I <laughs> – I'm trying to sit here and be like, well, Notre Dame women have won a couple national titles, but their men's program hasn't. So, you know, I, I don't know if in, in that case they'd have to throw the men's one up with the women's one. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't see why not. I mean,
0: it's banner number six, right? It goes right alongside sure. the other five and simply says Indiana University
4: women's national champions, right? 2023. Yeah, I, I I know, and now that song This is Indiana would finally finally achieve that there. But uh, yeah, just a dominant performance, especially in the second half yesterday as they pull away from their rival. I think it was nine straight now they've won over Purdue. We mentioned it earlier, Purdue rolls Ohio State eighty two fifty five. Zach Eadie didn't even need to play the final ten and change of that game, twenty six and eleven. Ohio State just no front court whatsoever with Zed Key out. They out rebounded them by twenty three. And now Purdue is the week off. Now, Purdue has the week off until Indiana. That is a Saturday night game at seven thirty. I don't feel like this rivalry, Jake, Indiana Purdue has had many Saturday night matchups as of late.
0: Yeah, it'll be a circle the calendar date, right? I it's one would think it, it does it does it feel to you like it lost any oomph at all just because Indiana Indiana's playing well, don't get me wrong, but because Indiana, you know, dropped now the fact that they are two and a half behind Purdue as opposed to being within, even if it was... A game and a half. I mean, does it feel at
4: all like it has less oomph than it did down in Bloomington? Oh, no. I, I think as soon as you walk in that building Saturday night, I mean, you know, Purdue, the last thing they want is to be swept by Indiana. And, and you're going to have a week-long build-up for Purdue fans, West Lafayette, um, everything there. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Indiana won the first game, I think, is like, boy, in the back of your head, you're thinking, man, what if I use sweeps here? So, you know, I guess from a Big Ten standpoint or an NCAA tournament standpoint, you know, there's not an overwhelming impact on the game. But still, uh, considering the last time Indiana swept the rival was, God, I don't even know when it was. Um, I, I would think that is enough for it. You, you brought up you know Kansas earlier, Jake. They did one of those, and this is the NCAA tournament committee doing this. They did one of those mock selections over the weekend. They did the first four lines, so one, two, three, and four seeds, and they had Indiana. And this is before the Illinois game, not like the Illinois game greatly shifted things. They had Indiana as the top four seed. So just on the fringe of a three seed, which I think is a little bit higher than people have seen them this year. Now you know who is on the tournament committee, Jake. Who is on the tournament committee? One Chris Reynolds. Ah, that's it, right? Would he be vouching for his uh, for his Hoosiers there? I think Barry Collier also on the tournament committee. But I point that out to say administrator for IU, Chris Reynolds. I I point that out to say you know he is or not he but clearly that is the committee selecting and we're still several weeks away from selection sunday but that is the glimpse into that room of they think that indiana's resume up up until this point which has a lot of strong attributes to it the win at xavier certainly the win over purdue um but they look very fondly on that indiana resume and if they were on the verge of being a three seed and you look at the big 12 teams i think of that mock selection there are a ton of Big 12 teams. I want to say five of them in that overall um, 16. You know, you got to think they're going to beat each other up a little bit. I mean, it's crazy to think that even with maybe a loss on Saturday, if Indiana can make a little bit of noise in the Big 10 tournament, they could be looking at a three seed or, you know, if they make a big run, maybe even higher than that. So uh, that to me really stood out. And then of course, when does Xavier Johnson Get back into the lineup because as much volatility as he has as a player, Jake, I I don't think you can win multiple games in this tournament without him. I I just think support away from home – in getting to the sweet sixteen would still be a worry. I think you I think you need him to try and get to that second weekend. And again, I know there's a lot of IU fans that have questions about, you know, how's Jalen Hood Shafino going to react to him being back? Those two look gassed, Hood Shafino and Trace Jackson Davis. They look so gassed at times throughout games, particularly Trace. I just think you need to have somebody else who certainly you know contributed to you being out of the tournament for long stretches last year but then was a big reason why you got back into the tournament. So, uh, we'll see as the month of February comes to a close here uh when Xavier Johnson gets back.
0: Do you think that um either one of you guys do you think Bill Self wears a toupee?
2: I mean, is that a question? I don't I didn't think that was up for debate. You think it is, definitely oh yeah, a toupee. Sure. Cuz I don't yeah,
0: you know. Yeah, I think he got uh, think, You think so, Kev? I think he got it from those Adidas guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I don't know if he wears a toupee or not, but did you know? Because I'm sure both of you guys were wondering. Millard Fillmore was actually the last Whig president. Did you know that? He you left. Entertain. That's what
2: we're doing. A- 1853.
0: He left well, office, and the Whigs right. were like, "That's it.
4: We're done. We're hey done." Gosh. I mean, Mark, you got to be quick on the button today, please. <laughs> now, are there any presidents from the state of Kansas? Um, well, I can tell
0: you, Bob Dole was really close. uh Dwight Eisenhower has his center in
4: Abilene, Kansas. So yes, thank you for asking. So you do have some Kansas ties, Well, That looks like Shannon has already have her has her Kansas trip plan coming up this weekend She's outside of Lawrence. Uh huh. Thrilled, thrilled I'm by sure. it.
5: Hey, listen, um, I do
4: want
0: to. We got a little extra time, Shannon. We're heading by the Eisenhower Library.
4: I did have an interesting um, interaction on my flight down here in TSA with someone that was in the state of Indiana to recruit a local high school basketball prospect and judging by the phone call and i have no apologies for eavesdropping on this conversation it sounded a bit shady and i i would like to share that here a little bit later in the show if you don't mind
0: i i enjoy that tease very much after we do the check down we might have to get into that does that sound good
4: Sounds great, Nate Atkins. At eight thirty, you talk Colts. One reported higher so far on Shane Steichen's staff. We can get to that. Uh, Alex Golden at nine o'clock. The Pacers All Star Weekend had some really really bright moments. Uh, it's now theirs. Kind of the old awkward interaction last night of the Jazz ownership group, Ryan Smith, passing the ball off to Herb Simon and then going in there for the for the nice pound. I was like, oh boy, that's a little nervous. Uh, but the Pacers, they will obviously host the All Star game coming up in twenty twenty four. They're back to practice tomorrow as the they say the second half of the season. It's more like the final quarter of the season. That is Thursday. They take on the Boston Celtics in that one. Good Monday morning to you. Thanks for tuning in to Kevin and Query. Kevin Bowen, and Jake Query, Mark Dykton, right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. It turned into the most glorified layup line in the history of
0: basketball, but last night in the NBA All-Star Game in Salt Lake City, Team Giannis, 184, Team LeBron, 175 your all-star mvp in this highly defensive matchup jason tatum 55 points and 10 rebounds donovan mitchell had 40 and 10 damian lillard 26 and the game winner tyrese halliburton by the way seven of nine from the floor he was four of six from three-point range 19 points as again damian lillard hit the game winner if you want to call it that team Giannis one point over team lebron
4: Uh, Looking back on Saturday in Bloomington, the Hoosiers beat Illinois. It was a struggling first half for Indiana, to say the least, there. Uh, But I thought they just made a few more hustle plays there in the second half. One of the individual highlights, per usual, Trace Jackson Davis. He passed Mike Woodson on Indiana's all-time scoring list. In all likelihood, Trace will climb another couple more spots here before it's all said and done. And here was Mike Woodson afterwards on Trace Jackson Davis.
5: Kick some ass. Well, I mean, you know, as a player myself, I was never about accolades, man. It just <laughs> something I was blessed to be able to do and scoring the basketball. And the beauty about Trace and Mike Woodson, we both didn't shoot threes. He, he, he doesn't shoot them, and I never had the three po- point line, but I couldn't be more proud of a young man uh, than Trace today. Um, that record is—I've been sitting in that spot for a long time, and for him to surpass it, man, it's—it's special. It just means the body of work that he's put in, you know, over the years. And but he can't stop there, man. I, you know, its, it's just points, man. You got—he's—he's he's still staring at two things: a Big Ten title and a national title, man. And that's where I'm trying to get him.
0: And again, Trace Jackson Davis had said after the game, telling reporters this is indeed his last year in Bloomington, despite having a year of eligibility. Elsewhere in college basketball, Georgetown 68-62 over Butler. That snaps a three-game losing skid for the Hoyas. They are 1-10 on the road. So the woeful season continues for the Dogs. 13-15 overall, 5-12 in the Big East. Illinois-Chicago, 74-73 over Valpo. It was Purdue-Fort Wayne by a bucket over Wright State. Purdue, as we talked about, the number three team in the land. eighty-two fifty-five over Ohio State. Zach Eady with 26 and 11 boards. Trey Kaufman-Wren added 11 for the Boilers. And Detroit Mercy got 31 from Mike Davis's kid, Antoine Davis. They beat IUPUI 81-68. <laughs> At Daytona, the Daytona 500. Mark, give me a number one through 40. 11. By the way, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was the winner in uh, a a race that went into overtime 17 times. Actually, the Daytona 650 is what it was by the end. Uh, What did you say there, Mark? (laughs) 11. Number 11. Mark, you have won a lifetime supply of, uh, oh, Black Rifle coffee. Well, hell yeah. (laughs) That's because Travis Pastrana finished 11th. Check that into your veins, Mark. Then later said, by the way, that that was going to be his only time running in cup. All right, uh, Mark, give me a number for yourself, 1 through 40.
4: You mean Kevin. Or Kevin, sorry. Uh, Kevin is the name. Um, well, I believe the Indiana native got twenty Is that correct sorry. for Connor Daly? Uh, you're
0: going 29th, Connor <laughs> Daly. You win a lifetime supply of bitnile. Now, if you
4: it, once you uh, get yes, that bit lifetime Nile. supply mm-hmm. of
0: bitnile Bitcoin, you let me know exactly how that works.
4: Uh, Mark, give me a
0: number for myself.
4: Well, it's it's a mosquito spray. So <laughs> it's a mosquito spray for when you you know head to the Nile.
0: Twenty seven. Fair enough. So so you don't get bit. Twenty seven. Okay. Uh twenty seven would be Todd Gilliland. Uh I've won a lifetime Household supply name. of generator skills.
2: <laughs>
0: well okay. It's it's pretty easy. You put the gas in, then you pull the thing, and it fires up. What kind of skills do you need for your generator?
2: My goodness.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, we come back, R- Kevin. Ricky a re- a re- Junior? Really
2: Is a, that uh, It's a
4: resume builder. Now what would you say, Kev? I was just gonna say, Ricky Stenhouse Junior, is that, you know, is that who NASCAR wants? I, I don't you know, I, I feel like we always get into that game with the Indy five hundred. Who would be the ideal winner for you know IndyCar? I know NASCAR's not necessarily in the same boat, but Ricky Stenhouse Junior is certainly a name that I've heard, but I don't know where he is on the fame scale.
0: You know, he is a guy that was kind of a rising star. I think then became kind of more noted for the fact that he was in a relationship with Danica Patrick. And then fell into a five year losing skid, but was always running fairly well. Um, so I, I'm trying to think of like what the equivalent would be in terms of he's kind of the Kirk Cousins of drivers. Like, was you know, all of a sudden people were like, Yeah, he's not bad, he's pretty good. And then he just kind of was there, and people were like, Yeah, he's okay. Um, and now he wins the Daytona 500. Kroger, Cottonelle, Chevrolet, by the way. Joey Logano, second. Christopher Bell, third. Chris Boucher was fourth. And Alex Bowman rounding out the top five. All right, Kev, we come back. I want your recruiting story. Is that, is that good?
4: All right. Yep, yeah, shady business going on at Indianapolis International on, on Saturday. All right, we'll let Kevin spill all the goods when we come back.
0: On a President's Day Monday edition or I should say Monday, President's Day edition. It's
1: Kevin Aquarius. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at kisimta.com Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: 5, 5,
4: the fan. Let's kick some ass. All right, good Monday morning to you. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dighton, myself coming at you from Florida here the next couple of days. A little family vacation with the bow inside of it, so thank you to our engineering staff for hooking me up down here and... A little Comrex action. Um, Today and tomorrow, kind of a quiet time really in the sports world. Pacers get back in action on Thursday. No Purdue this week. Um, They don't play until Saturday when they host Indiana. IU's got at Michigan State tomorrow night, which, Jake, I don't know if you saw over the weekend, but that was a pretty, pretty emotional scene in Ann Arbor for Michigan State and Michigan.
0: Yeah, it was – and I hate to say I give a lot of credit – to Michigan, because that comes off the wrong way in terms of the compassion they've shown to Michigan State, because certainly, you know, human emotion trumps all sport rivalry, don't get me wrong, but, you know, when they had, um, when the Michigan pep band played the Michigan State alma mater song, I mean, it was, and you've seen throughout the course of when they have their different sports and then they played each other, Michigan's worn shirts for michigan state you know i would assume that indiana and purdue would do the same thing but you mentioned it kevin you know things now going to you know games going to michigan state the emotion there is going to be there um and it's going to be very real because i can only imagine what that would be like to not to get into the the you know the the topic of like school shootings and things like that i mean that's we all know of the tragedy that takes place with those but I can only imagine what that would be like if it was your school just how much that would mm-hmm. that would resonate with you so uh, it's going to be an emotional week for certain
4: yeah especially with Tom Izzo being such a central figure at that place and, and taking such a lead role and everything since what transpired last week in East Lansing uh, we had the boys sectional draw here locally last night you heard that on our airwaves and Jake, I'm standing there in the airport on Saturday, getting ready to board. You know, TSA, not not too, too long of a line. Um, guy behind me is kind of decked out in a, you know, some sort of sports jumpsuit. I, I didn't get a great look at exactly what it said on there. But, you know, my eyes wandered a little bit there. Next thing you know, he's on the phone and... He's saying to this guy, "Yeah, I watched him play last night he, he he'd be a starter on on any of our teams, and uh I- I don't think the parents want any money, but I don't have a great feel on that. And I'm like, whoa, what? (laughs) I'm like, what? I'm like, all right, you need help getting your laptop out of your bag, sir. Can I, you know? I'm like, all right, my ears are of major interest right now, and so I look a little bit more at like you know his backpack, whatever, and it says Overtime Elite. Are you familiar with Overtime Elite at all? No, but do tell I, I can only imagine i'm you're about to hear a query ramp, but go ahead, I know, I know, I know, and the thing is we didn't we didn't even plan this, but I just knew you'd be after the, your Indy eleven ran on friday I, I I knew you were you you were due for another one here That's right. um so Overtime Elite, located in Atlanta, started just a couple of years ago, and this is the next sort of, you. if I'm not mistaken, I, I believe Miles Colvin from Heritage Christian kind of flirted with with, with this idea. But um, you go there and you can do one of two options. You can take the scholarship option, which means you're going to turn pro after your eligibility is exhausted. Um, I think it's $100,000 per year there, um, and you get paid right away. Or you can... Um, Maintain your eligibility, not do that, and then go to college. And if you look at the mock drafts for 2023 coming up here in a few months, and I've mentioned this name before on the show, uh, Amin Thompson um, and his brother... um, Usar, I believe is how you pronounce his brother's name. Both of them attend Overtime Elite. They've got the best player in 2024, Nasir Cunningham, that is a part of their program. Um, Kevin Ali is the head of coaching and development. That name will certainly ring a bell. Uh, Damian Wilkins is their general manager. So this is kind of the next prep school, pay-for-play sort of um, school that I think is going to be right up there with what the G League Ignite is trying to be and just a step above the Oak Hill Academies or the IMG Academies, you know, those places. So. In the conversation, he references Tim. He goes, hey, Tim. Well, you know, I do a little digging online here, Jake. Tim is the VP of Recruiting and Player Personnel for Overtime Elite. This guy was in Indy on Friday night to watch Jalen Harrelson from Fishers. Uh, Because after we got through security, I decided to stop him and say, oh, uh, who are you watching here? And he was a little rattled. He was a little caught off guard, but um, he did entertain the the question. Um, so he's watching this kid from Fishers, who, by all accounts, is one of the best players in the nation. Only a sophomore, and is extremely skilled, and you know bound to be you know potential pro one day, and you know probably will be right up there with. The Cathedral kids, Xavier Booker, and Flory Badunga in terms of top ten players in their class and all of that. And I just walked away from the conversation. I, I, I didn't berate the guy by any means, but I just walked away from the conversation thinking, like, this is the reality for the Fishers High School head coach? Here he is hosting Zionsville on a Friday night, and up in the stands is this guy from Overtime Elite that is making a call the next day saying... Yeah, I don't know if his parents want want money. I don't think they do. And like I just feel like this is the this is the sad new age reality of high school athletics and what can this Fisher's coach do?
0: One thousand percent correct, Kevin, and I'll try to limit this to a ninety second rant. There was a time where like the Indiana Kentucky All Star game. There was a time where the Indiana – and part of this is just the natural evolution. I get it. I mean, it's not – I'm not trying to be, you know, yelling at clouds here. I, I certainly understand that things evolve. I, I get it. There was a time where the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star Game, they got 17,000 people at Market Square Arena or or Conceico Fieldhouse – Because it meant something to kids. It meant something to be named an Indiana All-Star and wear an Indiana jersey because that meant that you were deemed one of the best players in the state in representing your high school. Because there was a time where a player most cared about their representation of Lawrence North or North Central or Avon or Warsaw. And now that stuff is simply auxiliary because their name is being made by playing for whatever AAU program there is and it all becomes a matter starting at about the age of 14 if not younger and it's getting younger by the year to jockey yourself to position to get in to an elite level summer program because that is what's going to make your name. The problem is what you have and I'm not saying it's the case with the guy you saw at the airport Kevin but what you have is this huge culture of kids and their parents that are trying to get their name to the point of not even getting a college scholarship now, but getting on the radar for professional basketball, be it here or overseas, and you have this undercurrent of these these absolutely like sycophant-level, vicarious wannabes that all put on their jumpsuit sweatpants and run around, and they want to be the one that is discovered as the guy that discovered a player. They want to be the one that 20 years from now is on a 30 for 30 about being the handler for LeBron when he was a young player, Carmelo when he was a young player. And they are all going out and doing everything they can to cast as wide a net as possible to get these players underneath their thumbprint so that they can then be seen as some sort of a basketball genius moving forward. And the problem with that is by the casting the wider and wider net, they are taking more chances on more players that quite quite frankly are not ready for that level of competition and or attention and thus you are jeopardizing the long-term stability and health of a young person because you're putting you're forcing them to put all of their eggs into one basket of a skill set that probably is vastly overrated that you are banking on panning itself out and what none of these guys and these coaches are thinking about is when that player doesn't pan out, they just chew him up, spin him out, and go on to the next one and start telling the next kid he's the next LeBron. Right. Whereas that kid now is thinking to himself, wait a minute, I sacrificed my high school experience. I transferred to three schools in four years. I, I made no you know core group set of friends or experiences and now i have no idea what to do with my life it is such a sick and gross thing and if you think it's limited to basketball don't even get me started on summer league baseball now and people putting their kids in batting cages at the age of seven for three hours a day when they should be out playing capture the flag
4: it's all so gross to me I was a big kick the can guy personally, but capture the flag certainly a good game as well. Uh, for those that had the over on the ninety seconds on the rant, they certainly cashed in here on this Monday morning. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't disagree with really anything you just said there, Jake. I, you know, a couple thoughts I had again: you know, what's this Fisher's coach supposed to do? You know, when, when this guy's like, I don't think the parents want money, but I'm not 100 percent positive. Clearly, they would, based off that comment, they would be willing to offer some sort of money. And I just think there's an element of burnout that. Oh. You know, I I certainly felt from, you know, some of my kind of close friends, regardless of sport, at the high school level, and it's now, you know, grown you know, majorly since I was in high school, you know, 15 years ago. Um, and, you know, there's an element of, like, being at Fishers High School and being in, you know, I think a you know, relatively diverse high school and, and, and being around, um, you know, kids your age and, and kids that are not just there to play basketball, basketball, basketball. I think that is a great experience for him. And then you go to Overtime Elite, and obviously it's basketball 24-7, three. 365 and you just lose out on the high school experience that, you know, I find to be, you know, extremely, extremely valuable. So I, I, I was disappointed. It was just, it was, I don't know. It just, it rubbed me the wrong way, Jake. And the kid seems to be a great talent. You know, I've talked with people on that Fisher staff and they, you know, say he's a great kid as well. And um, certainly a wonderful talent, but gosh, just so much out of it. So much of it is out of their control. It, it just,
0: there are, and I get it. I mean, I understand that sports for for so many kids are, are opportunity. You know, it presents an opportunity to open you yourself up to so many different areas of life, and I totally understand it. And if you are a player that is capable of getting paid at a young age, get your money. I I totally understand all of that. I just worry that there is an exploitation of too many kids that don't fall into that category, and you know, it goes back to as I've said a million times the movie Hoop Dreams, and William Gates, who was the player in that, that it followed in 1991, and at the end of the movie, William Gates, who was a top-level recruit out of Chicago, he and Arthur Agee were featured in the movie, and William Gates went to Marquette, Arthur Agee went to Arkansas State, and they're featured, you know, they were top-level recruits in Chicago. They got all these coaches coming after them, and they're doing a documentary about them and everything else. And Gates has one of the great lines at the end of the movie, one of the great lines of all time when he says, you know, everybody keeps telling me not to forget about him when I get to the NBA, but I want to tell all of them, don't forget about me if I don't make it. And it's Mm -hmm. such
4: a great line, man. Yeah, it is a great line. line. It's a great, great line. Again, boys sectional draw um, this past Sunday or just yesterday. The girls' basketball state finals coming up this weekend. I did want to mention the teams in that because it's not, I think, maybe the household names that you're used to. Honestly, Fishers is in the um, 4A state finals. They've got Bedford North Lawrence. Is David Bailey still coaching Bedford North Lawrence, Jake? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he is, actually. He was at Butler for a while there, right? Yeah, um, it did it? So it was
0: B&L before Butler? Is that what it was? on the? Uh... I think it was because his daughters were playing, right? Let me say this real quick, Kevin, about Fishers and the girls' team at Fishers. Um, high school sports are high school sports, and, and certainly happy for any of the teams that went up for their kids. I'm not telling anybody to root for this team, but one of the things that I have loved about this Fishers team, and I don't watch a lot of girls' high school basketball, but Scott Long, who you've heard on this station doing the midday show, from it's time a great to time, story. Scott Long's daughter, Maddie, is a special needs student that attends Fisher's. that Scott has been very public and open about her journey and at times her struggles as a special needs student. Um, very shy, almost nonverbal at times. She started doing in athletics at Fisher's High School. Um, I forget the name of the program, program exactly, but the sports they do, where unified sports, I think, is what it's called, where they take special needs students and partner them with the student athletes of the school, and you know they play in different, different sports. Maddie became a student manager for Fisher's, and it is you can see it because Scott posts it. It absolutely has allowed her. To just blossom in terms of her own confidence she does a dance when the school pep uh, pep band is playing the fight song before every game she does it afterwards and I thought it was so wonderful when they won one of their I think it was regionals they were all standing there getting set to get their medals and one of the girls on the team looks over and sees Maddie standing there and just instinctively goes over and puts her arms around her and hugs her and gives her a high five that's what high school sports should be about Kevin I understand there are players that are going to be able to use that platform to get themselves into position for you know high-income – I totally get that. But at its core, that's the spirit of high school sports, and that's why I'm hoping that Fishers can get it done.
4: Yeah, you know, my mom taught in special ed for 30 years, Jake, and stories like that um, she gets emotional about. I talked to Scott Long after the show a couple of weeks ago. I mean, his eyes just lit up when I brought up. I think at that point they were still in sectionals and had some close games and, and just exactly what that has meant for his daughter. So that is the 4A game. Fisher's uh, B&L, Bedford-North Lawrence, Cord and Central and Fairfield in 3A, Lapel and Forest Park and 2A. And how about this? The Fighting Greg Rakestraws, that is Lanesville taking on Bethany Christian in the Class A game. I mean, Rake has got to be doing the pregame speech in the locker room, correct? I'm sure he is. And postgame. And midgame. game. That- Literally. and he's Maybe he's driving the fire truck around town <laughs> if they are able to win the state championship. So, that's coming up this weekend. Again, boys sectional start here in a couple of weeks. Alright, Nate Atkins from the Star joins us around 8.30 to talk Colts. They have made a reported hire to Shane Steichen's coaching staff. A couple other items to uh, mention over the weekend we'll get to. And then Alex Golden uh, to talk Pacers returning from the All-Star break. And what was a, you know, I think a pretty promising weekend from a notoriety standpoint for the Pacers out in Salt Lake City. 8 o'clock clock hour coming up kevin and quarry on a monday
1: life is full of things to manage your work your family your plans and your treatment consider kesimpta ofatumumab 20 milligram injection you can take it yourself from the comfort of home if you're ready for something different ask your healthcare provider about kisimta and check out the details at kisimtacom brought to you by novartis pharmaceuticals corporation Some ass.
0: Hi, good morning to you on President's Day. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. It is Kevin and Quarry 93.5, 107.5, the fan. This note, by the way, from JMV. Jeff Allen is the head coach for Bedford North Lawrence girls team. He is from Owensburg and attended Eastern Green, making him the second most famous alum in the school's history. Played two years (laughs) at Vincennes, then transferred and played for Joey Meyer in the early 80s. By the way, President's Day means presidential trivia all day, which I know is to the thrill of all the listeners. For example, James Buchanan, our only bachelor president, while serving as minister to Great Britain, he helped draft in 1854 the Ostend Manifesto, which advocated for an American invasion of Cuba. I hope they got some boulevards and cohibas while they're there. But uh, speaking of drafts, the upcoming NFL draft will mean that the Combine is going to be here soon. We will be live at the Combine. We would anticipate perhaps Shane Steichen joining us when we are there. But, Kevin, one of the things perhaps that he will be discussing at the Combine is his staff, which continues to come together.
4: Can we get a height and weight on every president? I feel like Trump would be one of the more NFL-ready presidents from a body standpoint. Okay. Well, third and well. one, Donald up the middle. <laughs>
0: well, that's right. They they call the draw play. Everybody everybody's talking about it. We run it better than anybody. uh I, I would think that William Taft would be on the offensive line. Sure. There's that whole oh, yeah. era of the fat bearded presidents: Benjamin Harrison, Taft, right. Grant, Grover, Grover Cleveland. That's your line for certain. Well, 1,000%. Gerald Ford. Yeah, I mean.
4: Yeah. Chris Ballard, well, yes, Gerald Ford, that's a great call. Chris Ballard would love the presidents and how much they're built in the trenches, to say the least. Yeah, NFL Combine, it's crazy to think about it, Jake. That's next week. We're going to be down there Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Shane Steichen planning to join us one of those days. Uh, But, yeah, the first reported hire for Steichen, that is a running back, or the running back's coach from the Giants, DeAndre Smith, the Steichen tie with that one. Uh, They go back to some UNLV days, so pretty early in Steichen's post-playing career at UNLV. Uh, DeAndre Smith has mainly been a college position coach, was with the Giants last season. Of course, having Saquon Barkley certainly helps you there. But that run game with Daniel Jones aiding it as well was a big reason why the Giants not only made the playoffs, but won a game. I think it's also worth pointing out, Jake, that you look at Jonathan Gannon in Arizona now. I brought this up kind of late last week. With Jonathan Gannon taking the Arizona job, obviously Nick Sirianni is looking for new coordinators because both of his coordinators left. And you have Frank Wright in Carolina. There's all these like Colt-centric, Philly-centric ties to building a staff. So I was curious what exactly that would mean for the Colts. Jonathan Gannon has reportedly hired two coordinators that neither of whom I thought would be really serious Candidates for Steichen. So I think that's good news on that front. Frank Reich did hire an offensive coordinator in Thomas Brown from the Rams. So again, that is not kind of an immediate. Connection are one of the names that I would have thought about for in there, but obviously this needs to be done really by the end of this week. Just more from a once you get to the combine, you know I think your scouting department and and just your staff in general need to be there, need to be talking to players and beginning you know the the major kind of inroads into this twenty twenty three draft class.
0: And one of the names when you talk about the the coaches and you know Shane Steichen staff. Kevin, let's go back to this. I mean, you've been around, for example, when Frank Wright came in. I mean, how does it work in terms of coaches that are under contract? Is it simply the choice of the head coach as it, and he tells the Colts, "Here's who I want to retain, or is he told, "Hey, this guy's under contract. You've got to work with him." Reggie Wayne, for example, comes to mind. I think he's got a year left, right? Right.
4: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I'm sure a lot of that is discussion in these, you know, eight, nine hour interview, you know, interviews that you have of, okay, you know, this is what we're thinking for staff. This is what we have in building, you know, to your point, this is who's under contract for next season. So I think it's a little bit of back and forth prior to that. You know, obviously Frank Reich's situation was very, very different in that. You know they had already hired three assistant coaches and Matt Ibrflus and I think it was the O line and D line coach as well um, for that 2018 staff and and Frank decided to retain them um, and again I know we've mentioned this before but Shane Steichen has four years of history with Gus Bradley so on paper that would seem to kind of check you know a big box there in, in the sense of trying to keep some continuity on that side of the ball I, I do think looking ahead to next week Jake and the combine it is a I would say two things probably stand out to me more than any anything else for next week. First off, the Bryce Young height-weight debate is going to be beyond, like, Attention! I mean, it's it's going to be huge to see exactly what he measures in at, And I know a lot of people probably laugh at that, but I think a ton around the NFL think that is a huge indicator of you know where he will be drafted, how teams view him, holding up from a durability standpoint. I know there's a lot of people that feel like he should have just gained a bunch of weight post you know Alabama, you know, once their bowl game came to a close, gain a bunch of weight, don't work out at the combine, just simply you know. Do the measurables and then lose the weight, get to your pro day, and then work out again, and and don't measure there. You know, it's kind of a little bit bit of a finicky way to go through the process, but I do think that that is something that would make sense for Bryce Young. But I would say second on the list, Jake, is this will be the first time the Colts will have had and. I should say the Colts brass and Ballard and Steichen and whoever else will be involved in that decision making process. It'll be the first time they get to meet with these guys. And those 15 minute sessions will be huge because, you know, I think there's some debate on, you know, how CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, how they're viewed in NFL circles. Well, if it's close, they're, you know, how they're wired, the work ethic, et cetera. Will be a huge difference in that. So I do think next week, albeit it'll be behind the scenes, of course, that'll be a massive part of the Colts, you know, starting to kind of formulate a plan of who they like.
0: Kevin, I think, like, for Bryce Young, and this is certainly the case with CJ Stroud as well, for that matter, what's to me unique about this year's quarterback class in terms of drafting high a quarterback if you look at the quarterbacks that are in that mix will levis anthony richardson um cj stroud bryce young right those guys for the most part you know josh allen and i mentioned this before josh allen when he came out is coming out of wyoming right he's not throwing to anybody that's going to be an nfl level receiver all of those guys, maybe maybe Levis would be an exception here, but the the general thought would be that all four of them are throwing to pretty elite-level talent. Now, I think they are obviously all great players, but C.J. Stroud is throwing to... You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be playing on Sundays and probably have an impact right away. You know, the the guys that... that that he's throwing to and the same is true of any receiver at Alabama. They have separation over the defender immediately and the window is is longer for them at the college level. How do they acclimate at the professional level where that window is literally collapsing instantly? And I think that as much Kevin as you want to talk about the size of these players and as much as that will be analyzed and discussed and scrutinized there I'd like to go back and somebody certainly will do it. I mean, especially now there's probably 18 websites that specialize in exactly this. But to look at how they've responded when they, after plays where they've been sacked or thrown a pick or been hurried because the conventional wisdom says the first year of the NFL for them is going to be about taking those lumps of adjusting to the NFL game, and I just think, Kevin, psychologically speaking, that is such an imperative area for quarterbacks to not get psychologically hampered to the area where they can never come back from it. I mean, that David Carr is the prime example to me, or even like Jeff George, or guys that, that came in and had a lot of promise, but they were never put in the right position and as a result were never able to overcome it.
4: Yeah I think two things Jake. One, yeah I mean you say the word, you know, the psychological aspect to it all. Again, I think that's what next week is about. i mean, sure you can watch on film, okay, he was sacked here, how did he respond or you know, I go back to the Jalen Hurts fumble in the Super Bowl, you know, how does he respond to that? Um, so that again will be a big part of next week. I think something worth pointing out and I don't want to act like Alabama's skill guys this past year were, you know, whatever, you know, Wabash's skill group nothing against the little giants, but I think you could make an easy argument that CJ Stroud had by far the better offensive talent around him than Bryce Young did. I mean if you look at Alabama's starting unit, this is not the top ten, top fifteen wide receiver groups that we've seen of Jerry Judy and and Devontae Smith and and, and, and you know Henry Ruggs and, and and those guys that, you know, Tua worked with and Mac Jones worked with, and even Jalen Hurts worked with. I mean, Bryce Young, I think, had a lot less than the normal Alabama group. Again, still had a ton of talent around him, but I don't know if any of these offensive guys around Bryce Young will be drafted you know, day one with him or even day two. Um, and he also played in the far better conference week in and week out than CJ Stroud did. So I, I do think that is a part of the evaluating element that. It's just a given that we just chalk up the Alabama kid and say, how is he going to do when he's not you know, on a create-a-player team? Well, he wasn't really on that sort of team. And again, played in the better conference. I mean, Jake, you were, you know, as high on Ohio State as anybody th- this right. this past year. I mean, they were littered, littered with talent. And one of them, you know, is probably going to go in the top two, top three next year in the 2024 draft. So um, I think that is kind of another part of this process that, you know, in the young Stroud debate, kind of gauging how you view both of those two will be interesting. We're going to talk with Nate Atkins more on the Colts front coming up here in about 15 minutes from the star uh what what do you guys make of three point dunk contest Saturday night? I I I, I enjoy the three point contest. I, I thought really the did. three
0: point contest was good. I mean, listen, Halliburton coming out and getting a thirty one. I, I mean I thought Halliburton might struggle just because I think in the three point contest you've got to have kind of a quicker release and he doesn't necessarily, but it didn't impact him. They get you know, he and Buddy he'll both get to the finals. I thought How the finals was kind of just reaction dramatic. to him. Yeah, I mean but I don't like the finals though when it comes down to it I thought it was kind of anticlimactic the way they do it just like all three of them get a shot and then it, you know what I mean it it, it didn't have the same like head to head type feelings that make sense
4: yeah so you you cut from eight to three um and you don't have I thought you would cut from eight to four to two I, I thought that's how they would do it but um you know buddy Hield starts off with 25 very Respectable number, number, and if Damian Lillard goes last, you know then that would have been kind of the big climactic moment because he—I mean, did he make all of them on the last rack? Yeah, he had to be close I mean, to making all of them there, did. and he gets to 26, and then Halliburton. Which I feel like you—you you typically see this in the three-point contest. You know, the guy that kind of sets the pace in round one, well, you know, eventually isn't able to maintain that until Halliburton, you know, struggled in the in the finals there. And then the dunk contest, I would say more than anything on the Mac McClung front, I was just happy that he made all his dunks. So was he. He didn't mess around. He just got out there he just okay this dunk that dunk and obviously stacking the guys on on top of each other and that reverse was great i I do feel a little odd like is this dude even in the NBA <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little confused on that end but uh, until you're gonna put up a big big you know sum of money and donate some to charity I, I just don't think we're ever gonna get back to even where it was you know six or eight years ago let alone where it is now
0: well the dunk contest he McClung himself had said afterwards. Look, I was just happy that I made them all. I, you know, I, that last dunk that he did, he apparently never made in practice. Uh, he made it when it mattered. I, I feel like we need, and, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because I'm in my last semester here, math class, but um, here we go. Was it was it really a seven twenty? People said it was a seven twenty, and I'm it was like a five forty. I, I I I
4: yeah, I was yeah. gonna say I thought it was a five forty, but if you want to geometry he, it up, he, feel free.
0: He. When he dunked it, he was it was reversed, right? Mm-hmm. So that couldn't be a seven twenty. Like I, I saw several people labeling it as a seven twenty. I'm like, no, that would mean two times all the way around. Right? He went around once and then a, a halfway around and mm-hmm. behind it. I mean, it was obviously impressive. Yeah. Obviously uh, which impressive. president
4: would be the best dunker,
0: Jake? Well, Millard Fillmore, because of his l- small height, one would assume, right? But I'll bet Abe Lincoln could get it done. Don't you think? I mean, like you. you well, actually, no. The you know waves vertical. I take Does that. Does Abe back. wear the hat on the court? I think Johnson, Andrew Johnson, would have been the best dunk contest guy because he would have actually leaped over or leapt, whichever is the right word, Lincoln while he was wearing the top hat. Can you imagine that? Hmm. Like Lincoln standing yeah. with the top hat on, six four, and then Johnson comes, leaps over him.
4: Boy, just if that went if that went ugly, Congress would be in a tizzy just having to <laughs> try and think about that. I would assume Obama for the three point shootout, right?
0: Correct, because he can do it with a coffee in his hand, right? And Obama's brother in law was the head basketball
2: coach at Oregon State, so that that alone gives him some hooping skill, right? I bet Martin Van Guren dunked on some people back in the day. You think so? Definitely posterized a couple people.
4: How about Oregon State? Was it last year they made the Elite Eight, or is that two years ago? Was that just the most random power five team to make the Elite Eight? They were close. To, they they put together a run. They put together
0: a run with my like. Was that the I, COVID year? Was that here? I think that's right. I think that's right. I had a pair of Oregon State socks. Kai Steffi and I were all in on Oregon State. Man, go
4: Beavs. I oh, okay, Martin Van okay. Buren. Kai Steffi. Where is he on the? I haven't, I haven't heard that name. Mark of you? I twenty no. eight. Yeah, I was gonna if, say that might Martin Van Buren.
0: If he won the dunk contest, Mark, what we know is he's got a hand slogan for the
2: van buren boys right yeah you gotta put it up that's how you know <laughs> he, they remember he dunks and it's it's seven
0: because he was the seventh president right
2: Else oh there like we go salt shaker or something in your hand
0: <laughs> that okay that works too right
2: uh, we mentioned this a
4: little bit earlier in the show. I just want to double back on it, Jake. Uh, they did the NCAA tournament committee did a mock selection over the weekends. This is before the Saturday Sunday games. Purdue was the third overall seed, so they were a one seed. They were in New York. That's where they were slotted from a region standpoint. They've got Alabama in the Louisville region, so this is kind of a little bit of a ripple effect with Purdue losing a couple here and Alabama starting to play better. If you do look at the regions on a map, Louisville would be the closest for Bama. Um, so Purdue would be out in Madison Square Garden. UCLA, Iowa State and Marquette were the other um, seeds, top four seeds with Purdue in that region. Jake, how about this with the Big 12 right now? Of the top 12 teams the selection committee did, again, IU was 13, so they had IU pretty high. They had them as the number one four seed. Of the top 12, so one, two and three seeds, five of the 12 are in the Big 12.
0: I thought, is this a new? I, I, I thought about this: the the release of the seeds, as they have done. Does that take any of the the wind out of the sails of Selection Sunday, in any way, shape, or form, or does it create a drama for it? I, I don't I don't know which way. I'm curious your thought on it.
4: Yeah, I, I I don't think it lessens it. I mean, obviously, we've got you know several weeks to go until Selection Sunday. I just think it's a little peek behind the curtain of what the committee likes, a little bit of a glimpse of, okay, these resumes are a little bit stronger. Like, if we would have... You know, had this discussion on Friday, Jake, and said, hey, where do you think Indiana will appear in the mock selection? We probably would have debated four or five seed. Right. Whereas they are debating here three or four seed, which, again, that's a pretty strong thing to note about Indiana's resume. I don't know if I would have thought five of the top 12 are in the Big 12. I mean, that is clearly the best conference in college basketball this year. But the the committee started doing this, I think, a handful of years ago. I just think again, it's a little bit of transparency, just a little bit of a, hey, this is what it looks like a month out. You know, obviously a lot can change, but I think for the most part, I, I thought I heard them say over the weekend in the history of them doing it, which you know, whatever, five or six times, three of the four number one seeds have stayed number one seeds. So if you're Purdue and the number one seeds were Alabama, Houston, Purdue, and Kansas in that order. You know, obviously that there's a good note on Purdue if they can seventy five percent chance with that, you know, great math that I've learned from you. You you would hope for Purdue's standpoint that
0: this little skid they've hit was just a, the bump in the road, right? Maybe Ohio State was the best medicine for that to kinda to kinda get back into the right side of things. And certainly they what Purdue did do, Kevin, and I remember talking about it with you at the time that it happened. That early pre-conference schedule for Purdue built them some cushion because they have so many impressive wins away from home, mind you. Um, You know, they have a a huge win over Gonzaga, for example. Well, Gonzaga's not the Gonzaga of old, but then you look at Gonzaga's resume. Like, I was looking at, at Gonzaga, and I'm like, wait a minute, why would they be ahead of St. Mary's, who's beaten them and is leading their league? Then I looked at Gonzaga's resume. I mean, they beat Alabama, for example. They have impressive non-conference wins, but they have a loss to Purdue, which helps bolster Purdue's profile, for example. Another thing that – let me tell you something that I was curious about last week. During Purdue's kind of bump in the road there, it seemed as though all of a sudden teams were playing them more physical – And there were you know, there was a lot of question mark about the officiating. And I got curious, and I know this will shock both of you guys that like I almost sound like a conspiracy theorist here, but I did get curious because of the Big Ten's futility in the NCAA tournament over the last twenty or so years, and one of the big complaints that people have about the Big Ten's performance in the tournament is well, maybe in the tournament things are just officiated differently. So I became curious whether or not the Big Ten might have said, let's officiate things differently in the last quarter of the season to prepare our teams for the tournament. So I asked Bo Borowski, I said, hey, is, is, how off base am I with that? And he said, well, that's probably the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I didn't realize <laughs> this, Kevin. People often say, when people talk about officiating, what do they say? Well, the Big Ten officials. Big Ten officiating is terrible. You know, Big Ten officials are awful. That or those were ACC officials doing that game, etc. The NCAA has no league designated officials. If you're an official, you do Big Ten game, Big Twelve game, ACC game, SEC game. You get on each week, you log, and you find out where your games are, or two weeks, or however far out it is. So, guys doing Big Ten games are doing ACC games and Big Twelve games, and so I don't know that you officiated any different. The style of play might be different but the way that you officiate the game seemingly is no different from one league to the next. So anybody that thinks that big 10 officials, quote unquote, have some sort of a different whistle than the game that you watched last week and an sec game, uh, same crews by and large, I mean, interchangeably across the board. And he confirmed that I'm a moron.
4: Well, thank you Bo, for that. I've always loved Bo and that's certainly, I'm going to have to owe him a text here in the break (laughs) for that. Um, It almost feels like, I don't know, more big guys and that's a little bit harder to officiate or you aren't used to that in every conference. I don't know. I'm probably just grasping at straws here. I did think something to note on Purdue and we can lead off the morning check down with hearing from Matt Matt Painter. But I thought yesterday with Purdue, they turned it over on the first two trips down the floor. Like the same exact turnovers they have had in this recent, you know, little bit of a lull of they just – it almost feels like no one else can bring up the ball besides Brayden Smith and they're all trying to like hand him the ball like here you go like he's our best player in fifth grade and he's got to touch the ball every time down the floor it's like bring it up and let you—you know, you have other smart guys that can get into the offense, and guys that can throw entry passes into Zach Eady. They obviously settled into it and absolutely dominate Ohio State. But um, again, with Purdue, people are going to be hounding Braden Smith, knowing that that is their—you know—lead ball handler by far. Um, yeah, let's lead off the morning checkdown with Purdue and Ohio State. <laughs> The
6: Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 26-11
4: 26-11 and 11 for Zach Ead. didn't even play the final 10 minutes of the game. Purdue out-rebounded Ohio State by 23. Ohio State missing their big guy, Zed Keed, And they just, yeah, they, frankly, they don't have the personnel at all to contain the big fella. Uh, Matt Painter afterwards on the upcoming week off, heading into Saturday night inside of Mackey, the Indiana Hoosiers.
0: I don't like to go three days in a row before you play a game. I think just from the mental standpoint, you can be sharp and, you know, you are who you are at this time of the year. You can make a little bit of adjustments and and, and a little bit of change, but the meat and potatoes of of what you've done is going to stay the same and, you know, just trying to get ourselves you know, ready to play in the game and, and worry about yourself more than anything. Like, you know, you gotta know your opponent, you gotta know their tendencies, you whatever. But, you know, just you know, taking care of business, hitting singles, you know, we, we, we can hit home runs all the time. You see that a little bit in the first half, like, you know, taking some tough shots um, when you don't have to you know, I, I think that's going to really be the focus, just, you know, being competitive and continue to rebound and take care of the basketball. Um, but more than anything, just sharing the ball and, and taking good shots. Uh, elsewhere in college hoops, Detroit Mercy, Antoine Davis, Mike Davis's kid, 31 points yesterday. They beat IEPY 81-68. It was Purdue-Fort Wayne 77-75 over Wright State. Georgetown 68-62 over Butler at Hankel. Oof. That snaps Oof. a six-game losing skid, Kevin, for... Georgetown—they are one and ten on the road. Butler really struggling at five and twelve in the Big
4: East. Gosh, Notre Dame needs to Georgetown on the schedule. Although I see that, I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe Georgetown's. Uh, halfway decent, which they of course are not. Uh, Indiana women, they beat Purdue over the weekend. They now, I think it's nine in a row over the Boilers. They clinched their first Big Ten title since 1983. A remarkable season for Terry Morin. Continues to add accolades and hardware. They will undoubtedly be a number one seed coming up In the tournament here in a few weeks. And shifting gears to last night from Salt Lake City, it was the NBA All Star game. Tyrese Halliburton was the last one to get into the game uh, for Team LeBron. He did have was it 18 points for him? He had a couple nice spurts there. Coming off glorified, he did have 18. We lost Kevin Test pretty much. There we go. Who knows? 184-175 Team Giannis over Team LeBron Uh, Yesterday in Daytona
0: it was Connor Daly finishing 29th in the Daytona 500 which actually was the Daytona 530. 212 laps after quote unquote overtime Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is your winner over Joey Logano, Christopher Bell finished third. Mark will do it one more time. Give me number 1 through 40 for yourself uh 15 number 15 for mark dykton that is martin truex jr you have won a lifetime supply of bass pro shop hell yeah that's right they got cool hats uh kevin give me a number for yourself uh 31 31 for kevin bowen uh jimmy johnson you've won a free lifetime supply of carvana i don't know if that means they're, they're going to bring that nice. huge vending machine to your front yard mark give me a number for me uh seven <laughs> uh number seven for me daniel suarez oh wow Tootsie's Orchid Lounge. If that's anything like the place in Nashville, Tennessee, sign me up, baby. It's like a Manny Petty spot. I don't know. They got a hell of a, <laughs> a hell of a bar staff there. Uh, when we come back, Nate Atkins joins us halfway home here on a President's Day Monday. It's Kevin Aquari, 935-1075 fan.
4: Let's
5: kick some ass. All right, Nate
1: Atkins, So they Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Key
4: Probably will be one of the quieter weeks that we've had so far with the Colts offseason. I guess there are some quiet moments late January and early February, just kind of waiting for the coaching hire. But with Shane Steichen announced last Tuesday, and then the Combine starting pretty much next Tuesday, you know, outside of some coaching hires, it should be a pretty quiet week on that front. So let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. And let's bring in Nate Atkins from the Star. Nate, I actually want to start on the free agency front, if you don't mind. I just posted something to our website, uh, kind of ranking the tiers of free agents here for the Colts in 2023. If you look at the list, there's a handful of starters on that list. I think, personally, the most important one to re-sign is your kicker in Chase McLaughlin. If if you take Chase McLaughlin off the board, who would you say is the most important free agent for the Colts to re-sign?
7: Yeah, I think Chase is an easy choice for that uh, just because they need a kicker. But if you kind of move beyond him, I mean, you know, if they decide to bring Gus Bradley back, I think they need some variation of uh, the wide nine rusher that Unique Ngakwe is. And so I have a feeling that if Gus is here, that's going to be, you know, heavily in the consideration is re signing him because. The fit is so strong, and because the defense, the Seattle style defense, is just built so much around uh, that guy, being able to just kind of fly off the edge and kind of rush like it's third and ten on every play. Uh, you know, I've I've seen those. There are other guys that could fit that. They could go after a guy like Carl Lawson, who just got released by the Jets, who's uh, you could you could maybe argue is an upgrade over uh, Ngakwe. But I just have a feeling if their if their plan is to bring back. Uh, Gus, then it just seems likely that that in the consideration would be re-signing one of the guys that he's had in three stops now, and that's in Gakway. So I think that's probably the most. Uh, I guess it's the most likely of the other guys. But I mean, you could certainly talk yourself into you know some of these other like Paris Campbell. I think you can make a similar argument for just in terms of the fit here and what he's looking for, and what's likely going to be, I would assume, a one-year deal for him to kind of try and build off of last year. But um, I could also see him th- – there's other fits for him out there, whereas in Ngakwe this kind of feels like the best fit he's going to find.
0: Nate, in your opinion, Nate Atkins is our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. You can read his work at the Indianapolis Star covering the Colts. We knew so much about the coaching search. That's over now. Shane Steichen is the guy. We know the Combine is upcoming. But there is still work to be done between now and then. What is the the chain of priority do you believe over the like say between now and the combine? If you're Chris Ballard, you've got a checklist. What is next on that checklist of what you need to get done?
7: I think first and foremost it's hiring the coaching staff, especially figuring out the offensive coaching positions, quarterbacks, coach, offensive coordinator, stuff like that, because what you want is eventually to get that staff here so they can show up at the combine and, and go through the scouting process with you know as a staff where they're looking at uh the quarterbacks who decide to throw where they're you know they're there you know not all of them are going to be in the meetings with the quarterback but but some of them might the offense coordinator will be um and and it's going to be a big process to figure out you know they're kind of where they're leaning whether it's Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson or sort of the guys in that mix in the first round and that's that decision is going to sort of hover over everything as it always kind of does here but especially this year the first year they're going to draft a quarterback in the first round first time since Andrew Luck so kind of getting the just the people in place for that I think is uh is just incredibly important and then um and then letting them go through this process together whereas you know Ballard's approach is always going to be patience and he's going to take this through you know some some different levels with the pro days and Everything that they can possibly gather on these quarterbacks, but having that staff in place right now, I think, is pretty important for figuring that out. And then, obviously, that works for other positions too. When they start scouting, you know, offensive linemen and uh, wide receivers and all of that, just having the right people in place where you can kind of start to make a few, you know, stylistic connections uh, based on scheme, as well as you know, maybe um, just just getting some of those coaches' input when they're there on the scene and uh, at the combine. I think is important.
4: Okay, Nate Atkins from the Apple Star. He joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Nate's latest really good piece, a 10-part plan to set the Colts up with a franchise QB and bright future. There's a couple items in there, Nate, that I wanted to get to. Let's start, up, start off with um, maybe what you think is the loftiest of the 10 items. You do have a trade-up for Bryce Young in there. What would you consider maybe the most far-fetched of any of those items? Uh,
7: in terms of likelihood, I think the, I, I think when I threw out the one on uh, uh, you know, I threw out Greg Roman as an option for offensive coordinator and sort of pairing him up with an experienced quarterback's coach, someone you really trust is sort of that uh, ear in the quarterback, or that the voice in the quarterback's ear. That was just sort of a, a little bit random because I mean, Shane Stack has not been connected to Greg Roman on any level that I know of, and that's sort of a little bit more out of the box the idea behind that one was just you know pair Shane Steichen who's this uh passing game guru with someone who's just so skilled in the run game and building out the blocking scheme and that entire approach of it uh I think would be a nice fit here if they could find someone like that I don't know that you know that I don't know that that's the direction that they're looking at or that's even necessarily what they want or what they can pull off and You know, Greg Roman's the type of guy that, you know, he's going to interview for some different coordinator spots. He's been one in for three different teams. So, you know, he would have to come here under the, you know, and feel good about the situation of what his role is as a non play calling offensive coordinator. So that was, I guess, a little bit on the, on the loftier side. And I think I also had, um, you know, a suggestion in there for, you know, if they, especially if they go that route, it'd be a great fit is going after, uh, Orlando Brown at left tackle. Uh, I think that would, you know, that would be as, as good as they could do to try and set up a rookie quarterback for best in year one is get him a dominant left tackle. But obviously those guys just don't often hit free agency So there were a couple in there like that that are more like if, if this could work out, if it could break a certain way, this would be a pretty nice outcome. Also understanding that that's probably not the most likely outcome for what's actually going to play out.
4: You had in there extending Jonathan Taylor, and I fully expect the Colts to to do that. Um, You know, I've always been a huge believer you don't draft a running back until day three of the draft. I I just think shelf life and all of that, you just wait till round four and build your running back room with those sorts of picks, but I thought you, you made a really good point in there that extending Taylor would be very important for your rookie quarterback, and honestly, it's something I probably should have thought about before that, but it does make a lot of sense. I mean, no matter who you draft, if you can provide some stability with a lead back, that would be huge for him. You know, Justin Herbert walks in and they've got Austin Eckler and Jalen Hurts walks in there and they've got Miles Sanders. I do think that is an angle, Nate, that you bring up that, again, I probably should have, but it, it will be really important for whoever is this next quarterback.
7: Yeah, I think back to when uh, Jack Prescott stepped in and that wasn't the plan the Cowboys had, but it's how it broke out with Tony Romo getting hurt. And they had, you know, they had Zeke Elliott at the time and it it just, it kind of let him sort of ease himself into that offense where he didn't have to be the star. He was more the distributor, more the, the guy who could grow, you know, sort of week by week, be better in the second half than the first half and, uh, and then better year two than year one, but not be that guy that's, that's dragging the whole thing where there's sometimes, there's just teams that do that a lot on quarterbacks. Uh, and I just think especially like, the run game complement of it is, is just important because, you know, those are plays, you know, when even some of the guys who love the passing game the most talk about the run game they talk about it as like a breather, as a compliment, like a, it's plays the quarterback and the whole passing game don't have to run. And, you know, it's first downs, it's touchdowns. It's the way that they finish drives. And Jonathan Taylor is that kind of guy that, you know, when he's really going, like we saw two years ago, for the most part was, you know he can turn those twenty yard what would be a twenty yard blocks game into you know forty five yard touchdown He can end your drives early uh, and get you out of these issues that they ran into last year they couldn't do that, which was you know all the red zone stuff and how hard it is to move the ball between you know that, that final stretch in the twenties and to give a rookie quarterback that kind of advantage where they're just drives where you don't have to manufacture the same way. I think matters, and then obviously it brings in some other stuff with, uh, you know, with play action game, and and depending on what kind of quarterback they get, if it's the mobile quarterback, you know, it helps even, you know, the, that threat, the, the constant presence of them potentially uh, dashing you in the run game can help that quarterback's rushing too. I think Jalen Hurts saw that with some of the backs uh, in in Philadelphia, and then Dak, like I mentioned, saw that with uh, the Cowboys and Zeke Elliott. So I. You know, I kind of agree with you, in a general sense, if you're going into the draft, that's not a position. I think you've got to be a real difference maker to, uh, to be someone that you would draft that high. and then in this situation to pay that high. And with Jonathan Taylor, you worry a little bit about, is he good enough on third downs in the passing game to really command that, or you can you manufacture enough of that running game with other pieces? But the one part of the run game I just don't think you'll find out elsewhere is that breakaway speed. Uh, some of the top ball carrier, you know, speeds in the NFL a couple of years ago, he just was dominating that list. And so that kind of gift to a rookie quarterback, I think, is uh, is pretty important in it. And it can make the deal worth it, even if you know, in a vacuum, it's it's not maybe the route that everyone would go. Nate, how
0: convinced are you that the Colts are going to be drafting fourth?
7: Uh, not, not that convinced. Um, I've been saying, you know, know, this is an idea throughout there. The beginning of last year was I, you know, I thought that the bears would be pretty up there in the draft. And I just thought that there'd be a connection there. And it just happened that they're number one now. And you think through some of those connections, you've got, uh, you know, Chris Ballard worked with Ryan Poles, the bears GM in Kansas city, uh, the You know, the Colts have players that Matt Iberflus loved here in Indianapolis and maybe some players that even if he didn't coach directly on defense, he respected, admired, and thought, you know, is they're trying to build out a, a bazillion needs on the Bears that he might like there now. And this is just sort of the year when you think about the way this is aligned where, you know, the Colts can't mess around anymore. They've done many years of this where they, they just try and find – you know, a a good value option at quarterback or something to just kind of get by with, either an older option or Carson Wentz that costs one first-round pick rather than two for like a Matthew Stafford. And they keep getting burned by it. and they They keep settling and they keep not finding that answer. And I think this is the year where if they identify, as they look at these top four quarterbacks, if there's a guy who, or two guys, who are just a cut above, just, I think even if there's two guys who are cut above, I think they've got to try and make a move they've got to really look at it at least because you know the texans are taking one at number three and then all it takes is a team like the panthers or the raiders to trade up over you and then all of a sudden you're getting your third favorite option and i just think that's a bad route in general to go to solve this when with what they've been through and the fact that they don't have a bridge quarterback right now so you know, if, if I had to guess, I think they're going to trade up to number one. And that's not something that anyone has, you know, has directly told me. Obviously, this is early in the process, but I absolutely expect them to get to the combine next week and have those conversations that they're not, you know, I, I think they're having them already. But really, that's when you can see that move where we've seen that before where, uh, when teams trade out at number one pick. I remember the year that the, uh, uh, that the Rams moved up and did it for Jared Goff. You know, th- those come together pretty quickly and, uh, in and, you know, early in the process, it just helps like if the bears are going to do that, it helps them set their needs for free agency. And, you know, the 49ers made their move before they knew who they were going to draft at number three, uh, the year they took Trey Lance. Again, it's tricky. It's not normally Ballard's nature to sort of like make a trade and then really make a trade at all like that. And then, and then decide, you know, later which guy we're going to take, but, there's a race to it right now, and so I, I just think that at some point when they've put it off for this long and they have a chance to get to the number one pick, that's not going to be that crippling because it's moving up three spots and it lets the Bears still get a top defensive player by falling to number four. Uh, there's just so many dots to connect there, and I think this will be the year they pull the trigger.
0: I, I think it's interesting, though, because if you really look at it, like we we assume – without hesitation, that they're going to have to get in to say one, you know, you want to get in front of Houston, I guess, if you want your quarterback's spot. But there's like this automatic thought, Nate, that Indianapolis is who Chicago will trade with. But do we know how many teams are prob- or how many markets are having this exact same conversation where they just assume they're – in other words, do you think there are others that are trying to move up?
7: Yeah, for sure. I think you think it's a team like – uh, you know, some of this is going to be decided by what happens with the, the quarterback dominoes in free agency. Someone's going to get left out. Someone who wants, you know, either Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr. You know, there, there's just more teams than there are guys to go around between the Raiders and, uh, you know, and Jets and Titans potentially and, and Panthers. And, uh, there's just Falcons. There are just enough quarterback needy teams that at some point when they get left out, like it's, it's like musical chairs. Like they got to, they got to figure out what's the next pivot. You think
0: Arizona and, will trade out?
7: Uh, I think it's yeah. I think that's possible. You know they they they're in a weird spot. They've got an old roster with a young quarterback. I know, so.
0: and that's they're the curveball though because if they if if they decide that they want pieces, then all of a sudden now you have in other words, the Colts have kind of this safety if Chicago didn't trade out and that Houston you know is going to take a quarterback, but those other two may not. But that becomes the dangerous territory, right, Uh, of getting burnt by the fact that one, if not both of those teams, could get a quarterback-hungry team in front of Indianapolis.
7: Oh, yeah. Like, if the Bears move down, say the Bears trade with the Texans and they just go to three, and then, you know, the top quarterbacks go into Houston, then all of a sudden there's two spots right behind the Texans where the next two quarterbacks could go. There is a world where the Bulls could – get their fourth choice at number four if they're not willing to make a jump. There's going to be certainly the teams at the top are going to play it this way. The thing is, like, the the advantage the Colts have over any of those other teams coming up is that those teams only have to drop to four. And so, like, if the Bears, if they decide, say, that, that, you know, right now it's considered Jalen Carter and, and Will Anderson are just a cut above everybody else as players to draft. If they want one of those two guys, they can't really afford to drop further than four to get them so going to like number eight with the Panthers that's you know that's that may be too far of a jump for them or maybe it's just less interesting or less enticing than dropping to where the Colts are but but yeah I think the risk is not making a deal at all because at some point you know if your team like if your team like the Cardinals who who just realized we have too many holes to fill with one pick uh, yeah all it takes is one team being you know being bold enough to offer a future first to jump over you and then then you're in a a
4: little bit difficult of a spot. So much unknown, so much debate over the next couple of months. Again, the Combine underway next week right here in Indianapolis. Nate Atkins from the Star with us. Uh, I encourage everybody to check out kind of that 10 items blueprint that he's laid out, some really good stuff in there. Nate, thanks for the time this morning, man. Yep, thanks for having me. That's Nate Atkins right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We'll get back into the Pacers All-Star Conversation coming up in about 10 minutes with Alex Golden at the top of the hour. Let's kick some ass. 855, Alex Golden going to join
0: us here coming up top of the hour. We will discuss the Pacers, the All-Star Weekend. Kevin down in Florida, Jake Quarry along with Mark Dykton here on Monument Circle. Good-looking start to the day on President's Day. Did you know, by the way, I think this might be the most impressive presidential fun fact out there. Wow, James gosh. Garfield was not only ambidextrous. he could write in multiple languages at the same time. So like he could sit there and write in, with his like write a letter in his right hand in English in his left hand like in Spanish
2: at the same what, time. What would be the purpose of needing to do that? Well, can you imagine the number of uh, I mean you're it uh, just sounds
0: exhausting to me. I, I mean, sure, but you're a foreign international ambassador. Can you imagine like we've got to get? back in those days you didn't have he couldn't text right yeah so he needs to get a hold of france spain germany and italy to make sure that they're all on the same page in terms of what they want to do with some sort of diplomacy no problem he's got all the letters written in like five minutes
2: let me write this love note you to know, my he, wife and the other one to this <laughs> the president of santiago chile <laughs> you know uh, he went uh, uh, twice in one year of course mark goes there i've never been to <laughs> you know, speaking
4: Speaking of that, I, I think Scott Agnes had that. Uh, Scott and Bob Kravitz were both out there at the All-Star Game in Salt Lake City. Benedict Mathern was answering uh, questions in three different languages during his media session. So I mean, that w- what else can the guy do?
0: English, French. What was the third? You know, Spanish, probably.
4: Spanish, I assume, because you know he went to the uh, uh, that Latin NBA Academy down in Mexico. Um, That's impressive. I, boy, is there like a Haitian
0: dialect? Well, I, I think. Haitian, I think, is French, right?
4: Okay, yeah, and then a creole? Is that a language?
0: Yeah, that's, po- I mean, that's a dialect, basically, yeah. It's pretty impressive pretty impressive.
4: By the way, Benedict Mather and Andrew Nemhard on the winning team Friday night, Pau Gasol. That team was loaded. I, I didn't really understand why uh, the teams were a little bit more balanced, but they win the Rising Stars game. A little bit more serious, the Rising Stars game. The young guys trying to make a little bit more of an impression than uh, than the old guys last night, which pretty much lay up lines and three-point contests. Speaking of that, we'll talk more about that. Set up the pace for second half of the season. Boston coming up on Thursday for Indiana. Nine o'clock hour here, Kevin and Query on President's Day Monday. I can just feel Jake's smile states away from um, oh, yeah. this glorious holiday that is President's Day. A lot of Florida ties, I would assume, to some presidents. Well, I don't know about a lot, but... Well, not Andrew Jackson. You know, uh, Speaking
0: of the All-Star game last night, do you know that, because the All-Star game, a lot of shots put up, right? Did you know that Teddy Roosevelt was actually shot during a speech and insisted on finishing the speech?
4: Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> Boy, you talk about toughness. That That's right. Generations younger than him certainly do not uphold. Hey, now I mean, w- where was he shot? Is, is
0: uh, He was giving a speech. Let me see. I, I'm not sure the exact location. Um, I, was more, I was more worried about the body part than the location of in the chest, speech. The chest area. <laughs> He was shocked. Okay. <laughs> I know, like not like in the leg,
2: right? Let me catch my breath a second I got uh, in nineteen
0: twelve, Roosevelt was on the campaign trail running for a third term. Uh, he was actually in Milwaukee, standing just outside of his hotel preparing for a speech when a saloon owner, John Schrank, uh, managed to shoot him. The apparently the bullet got lodged inside of like a a compartment near the breast pocket of his suit and he insisted on that He had a 50 page item inside of his breast pocket. I don't know how big the pocket must have been. They're 50
2: pages <laughs> in your
0: pocket? He We're completed, four layers completed his 84 minute speech before going on and
4: being medically looked at. I'm incredible. I mean, got to be the toughest president of all time. Yeah, it's
2: pretty impressive. Durability of those pockets back then. My God, fifty pages.
4: (laughs) Yeah, you know we could have used an ounce of that toughness last night at the NBA All Star Game, but it was certainly a glorified layup line. Alex Golden from setting the pace joins us now to talk about that and look ahead to the rest of the season for Indiana. Alex, am I just have I not been paying as close of attention in recent years? But was last night like a step even closer to this is the Pro Bowl for the for, for football?
6: Yeah, last night was pretty bad. I mean, it's always been pretty bad in, in previous years too, in terms of you know the level of competition. But the Elam ending the last couple of years has been really, really right. made it pretty fun. I remember there was a lot of good defense in that last fourth quarter. But this fourth quarter, it felt like they were still going through the motions. Like, they didn't care. Maybe the lead was so big that, you know, Team LeBron just kind of threw in the towel. But, you know, I I don't know. It was one of those games where I was basically watching it because, you know, we do a podcast talking about the Pacers and Halliburton was out there. So, I had to see how he played. But if Halliburton wasn't in the game, I doubt that I probably would have watched that last night.
0: I just thought, Alex, the – we've always known the you know the all-star game used to actually be a pretty competitive game but I, and maybe people like it I, I mean some of the athleticism on display is truly remarkable but it really it almost became awkward in the fact that you know it, it kind of was like the beginning hour of this program with Kevin on location like there's a delay there and so you, you kind of don't know which one's going next and that's what it felt like watching that game like they didn't each, each time down the floor, Alex, it felt like they were kind of looking around like, well, who, who, what are we supposed to do here? And it was just awkward.
6: Yeah, there there were some awkwardness in that, especially from SGA, I felt like a couple of different times when he just kept passing the ball, wouldn't shoot it. Uh, I didn't really get that, but it, it. I don't know. It was just one of those things where, to me, like, yeah, there were some athletic dunks, but I would have enjoyed seeing more dunks in this type of thing and, like, not just, like, half-hearted dunks. You <laughs> know, there was a lot of... uh Shooting, especially in the second half, I felt like Tatum and Mitchell were kind of competing against each other, trying to see if you get the most points to get the All Star MVP. And you know, the, I think maybe the most interesting thing was was Tatum versus Brown at the end of the third quarter. But it got to the point where the other eight players on the court just stood there and watched them. And I'm like, okay, this is this is kind of getting out of hand. So, I, it's an All Star game. It is what it is. I really don't know if there's any perfect way to fix it. I think the Elam ending was. So, the best way to make it a little bit more competitive, but I just I don't think the players are bought into making it more competitive than it is. So I think it's gonna be what it is for the for the future in the time being.
4: Yeah, it doesn't help. It doesn't help when you know each captain exited early for different reasons. Um, you know, injury wise, with Giannis and LeBron, I, I've felt this about Sabonis each of the last three years when he's been in the All Star game. He looks like me at a sixth grade dance, just having no idea what to do out there. Okay, All Star weekend is over. Alex Golden setting the pace is with us right now. The Pacers back to practice tomorrow, and then again Thursday with boston before they hit the road for a few games coming up into february early march i'll leave it pretty open-ended for you alex what do you want to see in the final 22 games
6: oh yeah there's there's a a lot here to talk about i want to see them develop more i want to see guys that haven't been playing as much i want to see more jalen smith i want to see more isaiah jackson i want to see less daniel Pies. i want to see kendall brown a little bit I want to see what he can do in the NBA, give him a little bit more of a chance in that rotation. Uh, Jordan Moore, I'd like to see what he can do as well. Um, To me, the Pacers right now, they're in the 12th spot in the Eastern Conference. They're the sixth worst record in the, or yes, uh, sixth sixth best record of uh, getting the draft odds there. So I guess you could say sixth worst record in the NBA. To me, they could make the play-in if they want to push the only two and a half games back from the 10th spot. But I think what's best for the Pacers moving forward is to try to get into that best draft position they can get into. So, looking at the schedule, it's not going to be easy. A lot of road games here compared to home games. I think their next 11 of their next 15 are on the road, and their home games are pretty tough for the most part. So, I think the schedule, while it's still the, I think it's the 23rd toughest remaining, they got some cupcake games on there against Detroit like three times, stuff like that, but I think I want to see development. I don't want to see them push for the play-in. And I think when Kevin Pritchard did his end-season of presser saying they don't want to be 8th, ninth, or 10th, that's really the only hope they have if they want to win games. So, personally, I think I'm trying to develop, see what I have talent-wise. I want to see Matherin and Halliburton together more, and I want to get the best draft pick that I can possibly get.
4: Yeah, I want to focus there on that last point that you made, and I, I really appreciate you laying out so many things you want to see and knowing that Rick Carlisle would laugh at so many of those. Um Oh, but yeah. on, Benedict, on Benedict Mathern in the starting lineup, I, I have not been one. I mean, obviously my Mathern infatuation is w- well-documented, but I have not really been one that's like, all right, he needs to be in the starting lineup. Like, what you know, what's going on here? But now I think you are there. I mean, you just hmm. laid out where this team is from a record standpoint. You've got 22 games to go. You're going to get a practice in tomorrow. You're going to get a practice in on Wednesday. I just feel like it's a golden opportunity to – you know, see in a 20 game sample size what the future of your backcourt looks like together, starting together. You know, you can stagger them in with the second unit here or there, but when you look at the starting group, Alex, lately, they've kind of rotated a little bit. You know, a little bit of Nemhard, a little bit of Duarte, a little bit of TJ McConnell. It almost seems like why not just throw Matherin in there, get him with Halliburton, and do that for the final 22 games so you can go into next year saying, all right, this is the group we want to start opening night.
6: No, I completely agree. I, I'm not really sure why Carlisle's been kind of stubborn on, on turning Matherin with Halliburton. You know, it is what it is. I'm not too concerned about it, like you said. It, it's just one of those things. Now is a perfect opportunity to see what you have. And they went ahead and pulled Nimhardt out of the starting lineup against the Bulls the last game of the, uh, before the break. And they started T.J. McConnell, and I think that's because T.J. McConnell did a pretty good job the last time they played the Bulls guarding Zach Levine. I mean, Zach Levine had like seven turnovers in that previous game, so it did make a little bit of sense, but at the same time, it's just like, you know, McConnell can't hang with Levine for a full 48 minutes. I mean, I mean, one game, sure, maybe, but not for the longevity of it. And it's like, what's the point here? I know they had lost a bunch of games, so maybe they are just trying to get a win before they went on the break. So I just feel like you got to play Mather and Halliburton to see what you have. I understand that you can't really bench Buddy Hill, but at the same time, what I would love to see is Andrew Nimhard go to that bench and let him run the second unit. And maybe give McConnell a couple, you know, nights off here and there just to let Nimhard kind of run that second unit with Chris Duarte. See what you have there because I, I think really at this point you need to know can Nimhard be the guy to lead the second unit as the backup point guard or is he better suited playing off ball next to a guy like but like What is his actual, you know, best attribute that he can bring to the team? So personally it to me, you know, if you watch that Rising Stars game, he looked like a guy that was out there ready to showcase that, you know, he belonged. And I, I think Matherin has the highest ceiling on the team uh, right up there with Caliburn. And I think you've got to see what these two can be together. And honestly, I think that will help you in terms of who you should draft to go with them. So that to me is how I would approach it. Now, like you said, Carlisle kind of stubborn in his ways, doesn't usually uh cater to rookies very much. I know Matherin, he's got to work on his defense and stuff like that, but I think this is a great opportunity with 22 games left to get him some more time with Halliburton to see what they really have for this future. Do
0: you feel like, Alex, that Alex Golden's our guest on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Do you, do you feel like the Halliburton injury and the time away kind of reset the trajectory of the season goal? And by that I mean it didn't feel like they were overtly, quote-unquote, tanking at the beginning of the year, but rather they were simply expecting that they weren't going to win a lot of games. Then they got out to a good start. They looked really promising. And then Halliburton goes out, and you kind of go right back to square one. And it seems like at this point, you're better off just staying there. Is it going to be more apparent now than it was at any other point in the year that they are not as focused on the standings?
6: I would I would assume so. Um, but You know what they say about people who assume so it's just it's hard to read because you know the players they don't want to lose games and they want to make a push for the play in probably because they want that playoff experience especially guys like buddy that he's never been in the playoffs and Hallberg is a young player and he wants to lead his team to, to win nobody wants to try to lose games but you know last year they lost 10 games in a row to end the season and i think you get to a certain point you're going to realize okay we don't really have a good chance here are we going to position ourselves now chicago they owe the Orlando Magic their pick. It's top eight protected, I believe. So they have more incentive to lose games, but they also have a veteran roster. So it's like looking ahead of them: are there are there teams that might try to lose? I don't. I don't think Washington's in that boat. I don't think Toronto's in that boat. So it, it's going to be an uphill battle for the Pacers. But I, I don't think that they're going to like intentionally take. But if you start seeing guys like Kendall Brown, Wara uh, get some minutes, uh, Isaiah Jackson playing over Daniel Tys. That'll be, like, an indication of, hey, we're trying to develop. We're trying to see what these guys are. We're not tanking, but we are looking to, you know, try to get these guys in our playing time to see what we have. So I think they've got to be more of a focus and probably a shift because the Halliburton injury 100% changed the trajectory of this team. There's no doubt about it. Um, they, they look like a, a team without – you know, a car without an engine with, with Halliburton out there. So – he is uh he is the glue that holds this team together and it wouldn't surprise me if there's a couple games where he doesn't play as well down the stretch. I just I feel like this is a a great opportunity for the Pacers to kind of just reset and focus more on development and getting in a better draft position.
4: Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. Just knowing them, I feel like they'll make one final surge here right out of the yeah. break, see where they're at, and then you know maybe mid-March, late-March, things change. All right, Alex, last one from me. Um, again, Alex Golden setting the pace with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Um, I'm watching the game last, whatever it was. I guess it was Wednesday, the Chicago game. Awful start, horrid start. I'm like, all right, enough of this. I flip over to watch Alabama. And Tennessee, and I'm watching Brandon Miller And oh my um, I like a lot of Brandon Miller For those that haven't seen him 6'8, 6'9, really long Beautiful shooting stroke and shoot it well A little bit of work off the dribble sure. I get a lot of Paul George Vibes with him, I, he strikes me as a guy That cares on both ends of the floor uh, I like be some Brandon Miller uh, Who else should we be Watching besides him As the college basketball season closes itself out
6: yeah, I, I'm right there with you with Brandon Miller. He's uh, he's actually number three on my big board that I'm putting together right now. I've got to focus more on that as the Pacers have lost so many games. I uh, wasn't sure they were going to be picking that, but Brandon Miller for sure, if they can get up to three and get him, I think he is the perfect Carlisle guy, and a lot of podcasts that I've been listening to have said he's been the most consistent freshman of this class. Now, I think another name to keep an eye on, uh, You know, I've talked a lot about him in Thompson, but he's been playing a lot of point guards. I'm not sure if that's Necessarily, the direction the Pacers want to go, but he is a freak athlete. He's six foot seven. I think you know Rick likes having two ball handlers out there, so maybe you know you can play him at the three. And, and he's still got a lot of development to go, shooting wise. So uh, his shot has not really come together in the overtime elite. So that's one of those things he's going to have to work on. But another name that I've been keeping a close eye on is Jarris Walker out of Houston. Uh, there's a he's been shooting the ball pretty well this year, forty percent from three of like the last fourteen, fifteen games. Round kind of a played. thicker dude, match. right? Kind
4: of a kind of a bigger guy. Yeah,
6: he is a bigger guy. I think he's more suited as a four than he is a three. But the Pacers need a four pretty bad. They need a three and a four, in my opinion. But I, I think he would really fill that position as a four. Now I have heard some concerns that people think he might be more of a small big. So that's something to keep going on as well. But those are the three names, I think, in that three, four, five 4 5 range. Um, you know, you really don't want to go another guard because Keontae George has been pretty good, but he is more of a guard type of player. And then other than that, like uh, Soar Thompson, Amin's uh, brother, son brother, He's he's got some potential as well. But once again, he's not the defender that Amin is, and he's going to have to work on his shot as well to grow. You know, there's there's a lot of good talent in this draft. It's just trying to figure out where everybody falls because Cam Whitmore was the name that I was really high on and he's kind of falling a little bit at Villanova, but I still think there's a lot of potential with Cam Whitmore as well in this upcoming draft.
0: You know, the I can't remember where I saw it, Alex, but I saw the other day somebody posted something that said that they thought Benedict Matherin will have a better career than Victor Webb And I'm like, okay, well. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, he's only, like, the most highly sought-after, you know, player since LeBron James, but that's cool if that works, you know.
6: Yeah. Build yeah, a statue. I, mean, I love the optimism. I love the optimism for sure. I mean, but. <laughs> it was no not me, by no the way, in, way, in
4: actually, case you guys were wondering that. <laughs> hey, Alex, give yeah, me a number one. Kevin's burner.
0: Give me a number one through 46, <laughs> Alex. One through
4: 46?
0: Yep.
6: Uh, we'll do 23.
0: 23, okay, I guess for Michael Jordan maybe. Uh, Benjamin Harrison from right here in Indianapolis was the 23rd president. He was also the first president to hire a female White House staffer. And if you've not been to the Benjamin Uh, Harrison home right up the road, you should. It's fantastic. And when Benjamin Harrison, after his presidency, Benjamin Harrison returned to Indianapolis and was working as an attorney and was one day riding his horse, uh, up Delaware, what is now Delaware Street, and saw a woman screaming, and saw a man running, and realized that a robbery or a burglary had just taken place. He whipped his horse around, rode it up alongside, and then jumped off the horse to tackle the culprit, who was then arrested. And only then, and after the fact, did they realize it was the former president Benjamin Harrison who had, had done it. Mark, you well, looking he's no at Tony- me with a weird look. What's he, that, Kevin?
4: He's no Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> He did not have a bullet in his breast pocket no. with an 84-page <laughs> script. That's correct. Uh, Pacers back uh, to practice cool. tomorrow, Thursday with the Celtics, like I said, hitting the road trip after that. Alex, great stuff, man. Appreciate the time this morning.
6: Yeah, no problem. And I'll say this. I picked 23 for Trace Jackson Davis, not Michael Gordon. So All right, fair he's been having a great year. <laughs> he's having
0: a good year. He's
4: having he a good year. Thanks, uh, Alex. Kev, give me a number, 1-46. to 46 1 to 46. So I assume this is the order of presidents. Uh, 12. Number
0: 12, the 12th president, Zachary Taylor, of course. Uh, he never voted in an election prior to being on the ballot himself. Boy, that's no, he, a, He's the bang, he's the Bengals head coach, right? That's right. That's exactly right. Yep.
4: Yeah.
3: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, Mark? 38. Zachary Taylor, by the way, was poisoned. They literally exhumed him to find out whether or not he was poisoned with, uh, but they determined that he, I believe he died of arsenic due to cherry. Um, some sort of a cherry ailment w- what number did you 38 say? Uh, number 38 for you mark dykton the 38th president of the united states of course is gerald ford who was a football player at university of michigan who turned down offers from both the detroit lions and guess who else mark offered Chicago gerald Ford. Bears. no the green bay packers
4: oh, God, you know that. <laughs> i don't have the patience to
6: jack with you today
0: there you go give me a number now, for myself mark now go ahead kevin
4: Well, I I was going to interject with something else, but we're on the president train, so I'm not going to derail you. Do one more, Mark. 22.
0: 22 for me. All right, fair enough. Uh, President number 22, Grover Cleveland. No president except Cleveland has ever served non-consecutive terms, of course. Defeated James Blaine in 1884, then lost to Benjamin Harrison in 1888, then came back and defeated Harrison in 1892, probably because they realized that Harrison had to work security on the north side of Minneapolis.
4: Grover just has to be like six three 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 fifteen, 315. No doubt. No doubt about it. Just a it. nice space eater in the middle. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. We heard Alex Golden mention the number 23 for Trace Jackson Davis. Jake, does it surprise you at all, assuming health cooperates? I mean, he's going to pass A.J. Guyton. He's going to pass Don Chalant. This guy's going to end his career, four-year career, and to Michael Woodson's point earlier, without hitting threes as the third all-time leading scorer in program history.
0: Yeah, I, I think the thing that – I really thought, and, and obviously this is a moot point now, because he has said that he is he is going to go through senior day and that this is it. I, I thought there was a chance he would come back partially to become the Big Ten's all-time leading scorer, which would be surpassing Calvert Chaney. Um, and in addition to that, because of the NIL money, that he could make it in Indiana. But I guess if you've got a chance to get guaranteed multi-year money, you, you have to take that. But it's been a remarkable career, and I, I really do think Kevin, that in terms of the, what he has done as a senior here, it is probably from a statistical standpoint the most impressive, all encompassing statistical season since Allen Henderson, when Allen Henderson was a senior. That that probably would be the one that – there have been some – I mean, DJ White had really good numbers. They've had some very solid players. But this is as impressive and as consistent, Kevin, a run as we've seen from anybody.
4: Well, and again, he's adding to his game from an assist standpoint. I mean, he's a very high number with assists throughout the Big Ten season. You know, he blocks five shots on Saturday again. And um, I know it wasn't the prettiest effort, but as we said earlier, in years past, Indiana would look ugly and lose – this year they've had games where they've looked ugly and won and that's a step forward it's important for getting double by in the big 10 tournament you know seeding in the ncaa tournament all of those things um jake we have a presidential pop quiz is that correct that is correct yes all presidential sports related questions have you looked at it yet uh i glanced briefly is this the same one that you just is this an annual pop quiz or do you make adjustments no i made adjustments
0: Okay. Why does do some of the questions look repeated? No, 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 no. I was just
4: thinking back to last year. Oh yeah, I don't remember what we did last year though. No, I'm. No, I think this is what we did. Yeah, this is good. But I'm saying I don't remember the really questions. Good. I mean,
0: I, I tried to. I mean, a couple of them might require a few, admittedly, hints. They're a mm-hmm. little shocking. Couple, yeah, I mean. What? yeah mm-hmm.
2: no surprise hey, that there. ends in Y. what are you talking about right uh-huh okay well whatever
0: uh before the pop quiz by the way two three nine ten seventy 1070 the telephone number if you want to participate it is a presidential pop quiz but they are all sports related questions so presidents and sports the subject matter for the pop quiz but before that time for a morning check down
6: The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
0: Before Kevin gets us to college basketball and caught up on what happened over the weekend, let's talk about the Daytona 500. Yesterday, the longest Daytona 500 in history, 212 laps. That's 530 miles before Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was declared the winner. I say declared because it finished under caution. Uh, Stenhouse Jr. in front of Joey Logano and Christopher Bell, rounding out the top three. Connor Daly, by the way, finishing in the 29th position. Travis Pastrana, who said that the, excuse me, who said that will be his last uh, Cup race. He's not going to do it again. Did finish 11th though, so an impressive run for him. Looking here, Jimmy Johnson finishing in the 31st position in his Carvana Chevrolet.
4: Yeah, college basketball from the weekend. Let's start with the noon tip in Bloomington on Saturday. That was IU 71-68 as Illinois missed a pretty good look at a three to force overtime. The Fighting Illini without their best player in Terrence Shannon really struggled. Um, from behind the arc in the second half. after They shot it great in the first half. But again, a big separator game for Indiana. Miller Copp hit some important shots as well. Uh, They are now third in the Big Ten standings with a loss. They would have fallen to seventh. I thought they looked a bit lethargic early, but then made some hustle plays in the second half. Here was Mike Woodson afterwards in the win
5: we're hungry too you know i mean this was a separation game if they win they separate and you know even though we got a long way to go still we this game was important and you know you got to applaud illinois and 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 how they played they they were without their best player and they were trying to move up too and they and they played that way and but we made the plays coming down the home stretch. I thought that we needed to make in terms of getting stops and Jalen's two big free throws, the jump shot that he made, and then getting it out of that double team uh, right at the end there. Funky coma data. <laughs> Uh
0: Elsewhere in college basketball, Detroit Mercy eighty-one sixty-eight over IEPY. Antoine Davis had thirty-one. Mike Davis's kid. Purdue eighty-two fifty-five over Ohio State. Boilers now twenty-four and four. Zach Eady with 26-11. and Also, Butler losing to Georgetown 68-62. But back to Purdue. Kevin, we talked about it. Uh, Boilers find themselves still in that number one seed line. They had a bump in the road there, but the NCAA coming out with kind of a preview of where things stand
4: right now. It was good news for both Indiana and Purdue. Yeah, Purdue is third overall, so the third number one seed. They were slotted to New York for that region. Alabama's the number one overall seed according to the selection committee. That was the lead into this weekend, by the way. Um, so they are in the Louisville region, and Indiana was the top four seed. That surprised me a little bit. I, I know the win at Xavier is really impressive on the resume. Obviously beating, beating Purdue, uh, but I think in most kind of those mock brackets we've seen so far in the four or five range. But yeah, Indiana up to the top four seed according to the selection committee and speaking of the selection committee on the women's side of it a number one seed will definitely be the team in Bloomington. Terry Moran's bunch they continue a historic season. Um, They beat Purdue in Assembly Hall over the weekend. Uh, The final there was 83-60 pulling away in the second half. Jake that is their first Big Ten title on the women's side since 1983. It's been impressive no question about it and then They were
0: flirting with the number one overall ranking because South Carolina went into overtime. The Gamecocks eventually beating Ole Miss in overtime. But if South Carolina had lost Indiana, no question would have become the number one team in the country. And that might be the only team right now playing better basketball than Indiana. And even that is tenuous when you're talking about South Carolina. All right, presidents and sports. It's the pop quiz next. 239-1070 is the telephone number. Your chance at a Jiffy Lube oil change. All here on Kevin & Query, 93.5, 5,
1: 107.5. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta And check out the details at kisimta.com Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
6: Have you studied?
5: Can you handle the pressure?
6: Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Quarry. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil chain since
2: 1985.
4: Now, Mark, for our YouTube audience out there, loyal, passionate, Uh super interactive, just love them. Um, What is this picture that they're seeing of me?
2: Uh, I don't know. I, it's it's got the fan logo on it that I cropped out, but apparently someone took a under the chin shot of you, and I, I don't yeah, know if that's yeah. the most flattering angle for anybody, but I thought it was funny. So you're out of town, and that's what they get to see. Where do, do you see here? Where do you find these? Uh, I literally googled Kevin Bowen uh, fan. That's all I did. Gosh, I mean, look at that five o'clock shadow. That thing's gnarly. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's a terrible photo. <laughs> it's not a terrible photo, but the angle is very odd. Yeah, that angle is odd. I, I can only imagine. What, now I, I see the, Jake walking back down and there forth doing in the that. studio.
4: I, I think the,
0: the weirder thing is that if you Google Kevin Bowen fan, the picture that comes up is of Kevin Bowen.
4: If I, you Google Jake Query fan, it'd be thousands of people, right? Let's find out. <laughs> do you think there's more jake queries in the world or kevin bowens there's a jake Query that lives in noblesville i know that
2: uh the I very first one used to play he was in the like nfl a parasailor or something or a, a, paras- par- a parachute guy from red bull Oh yeah, and then it's you in your hospital bed. I skydived with. Not seen too many God. fans in here, though. God. There's a great sailor in hospital
0: bed. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure, right? That's got te- what's Teddy Roosevelt's got nothing on that, right? Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, Jake and Teddy. You talk about how right. tough they are. Uh, uh, we okay do have a president's pop quiz. That is correct. Um, so you have glanced over it. How would you grade it, Kevin?
4: Oh, I think it's tremendous. In all seriousness, yeah, okay. I think it's uh, I think it's really well done. Nice little mix here. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think a couple of them are kind of easy, but we'll see here. Uh, give us a number. We'll let you
0: pick one through six, Kevin, or one through eight.
4: All right. I asked my, I asked my father, Jake, for a president trivia. Okay. Uh-huh. Are you ready for it? I think this is too generic. The only president to serve two terms, but not in succession. Yeah. Grover Cleveland, right? Yeah. now Come on. He's got to, yeah. I mean, my I dad taught for 30 years. Come on now. You got to get better than that. <laughs> uh, number one through eight, we'll go with, uh, tr- 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 what Tal- Halliburton hit four threes last night let's go four
2: Martin? Four is todd what's up todd
8: hey good morning fellas
0: how are you todd you sound like a nice guy have you called the program before
8: uh yeah several times okay and
0: uh, you're a native of indianapolis
8: yeah well central indiana for sure okay and how old a fella are you i am 59 this year dude
0: okay so the president the year that you were born was who kennedy okay and you um the, the the first president that you can vividly recall like knowing that they were president or seeing them on tv was who by johnson
8: uh
4: it, it'd be it'd be johnson or nixon yeah that's fair um todd the most popular president not named washington or lincoln i'm going to say teddy roosevelt
0: that's that's a pretty oh, good call yeah, it's a pretty yeah, good call I mean, okay jefferson maybe i don't know uh oh jefferson's way up there yeah Um, How about this one? Todd, if you get this right, then we will scrap the whole pop quiz, and not only will I make sure that you get the oil change, but I will also deliver you a (laughs) 12-pack of the beverage of your choice. You ready? I am ready. Harvard has the most presidents that have attended and or enrolled in the university. There are some schools, by the way, where, like London School of Economics, Kennedy was enrolled, he never actually attended. Uh, What university is second to Harvard?
8: i'm gonna guess virginia and charlottesville
0: see that's uh, like the perfect guess right it's a great guess um it's actually a tie i believe yale is one but the other is the college of william and mary believe it or not
8: yeah those (laughs) those weren't on my radar
0: that's right all right todd would you like for me or for kevin to lead you off with question number one
8: kevin bowen please
4: okay Todd, here you go. In his younger years, Abe Lincoln was known to grapple with fame due to success in this sport. Winning matches before crowds of gamblers. He is in the Sports Hall of Fame. Is it A, tennis, B, boxing, C, wrestling, or D, archery? C, wrestling.
0: By the way, you seemed very confident when you said Kevin Bowen there. Is that because you prefer Kevin to me on the program, Todd?
8: Uh, there's more Kevin Bowens than Jake Quarries in the world. I looked it up. <laughs> All right, fair Thank enough. You, Tom. All right, question number two for you: Which president began boxing
0: as a student at Harvard and was also known to recreationally spar with staffers while in office? Teddy Roosevelt, Barack Obama, John Kennedy, or Woodrow
4: Wilson?
8: Uh, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say Roosevelt.
4: Okay. Yeah, tough guy. Tough guy. All right, number three here. I think this is the easiest one on the pop quiz. Which president was owner of a Major League Baseball franchise? William McKinley, Donald Trump, George W., or Dwight Eisenhower?
8: Well, I know who owned a USFL franchise, but I'm going to go with uh, President Bush. He owned the uh, Texas Rangers. Okay. Question number four, Jake.
0: I know. Uh, This president, who was in the TV booth for Bo Jackson's famous All Star Game home run, Had a baseball play-by-play job as a younger man. Was it Gerald Ford, Ronald Reagan, George Herbert Walker Bush, or Richard Nixon?
8: I'm going to say Reagan. Okay. Todd, boy, are you a U.S. history guy, Todd? I mean, if you ask me questions about cherry tree the civil war or watergate i can probably come close
4: (laughs) (laughs) fair all right jake number five or jake and todd because jake's on the ropes right now in 1910 the notoriously overweight president this notoriously overweight president was the first to throw out the ceremonial first pitch on mlb opening day was it a benjamin harrison b james madison c william howard taft or d calvin coolidge it was the president that got
8: his uh, toe stuck in the bathtub. That would be tapped. Look at that. Look at that.
0: Todd, Todd where were you educated? What high school? Todd. Uh, Did Carmel you go to high William & Mary? School. Todd from uh, Carmel, high <laughs> <School>. <laughs> Carmel High School.
8: Carmel High uh, School, Ball State University, and uh, the streets.
4: <laughs> C-C-C-A-R-M-E-L C-C-C-A-R- caramel. The streets of Carmel, Carmel, man. Carmel. man You're walking
8: <laughs>
0: around doing presidential trivia all day yeah. well, I You do have got... to walk around the roundabouts That is impressive You got the week started off on the right foot, buddy Because you went 5-4-5 five, five. It was, in fact, Abraham Lincoln who used to wrestle As a matter of fact, during the <charac> Lincoln-Douglas debates He was challenged to a wrestling match Did so People gambled on it He is now in the Wrestling Hall of Fame uh, Teddy Roosevelt Began boxing at that Harvard.
4: Is correct.
0: You are correct that it was W who owned, of course, the Texas Rangers. Let's go! Donald Trump did own the New Jersey Generals. Uh, the president that was in the TV booth, it was Ronald Reagan that went, oh, hello. Loud
3: and proud. When Bo
0: Jackson hit his home run and William Howard Taft, the first to throw out a first pitch. Impressive stand-alone. Mark will get your info. I thought they were – I actually
4: was worried I was going too hard on it, Kevin. From the streets of Carmel, roundabouts and statues – Todd is able to execute a perfect pop quiz. We'll throw in one more here for you, Jake. The first president to travel by airplane on U.S. official business?
0: I used to know this on official business. This is courtesy of Brad Bowen here. Okay, hold on. Let me me think for a second. To travel by... My first guess would be Herbert Hoover.
4: You you were in the
0: general vicinity herbert hoover was the first to be born west of the mississippi if i'm not mistaken um how long did the hoover dome last (laughs) that's a good question there um who was after herbert uh herbert hoover was immediately followed by franklin roosevelt boom is that it yep fdr Okay, that's that's good. That's solid. How about that was a good one? Martin Van Buren was the first president born in the United States, if I'm not mistaken.
4: I I saw that. I think that was, I saw that in the YouTube chat. Yeah, I told, I texted my dad back. I'm like, he's outside. I'm like, hey, you got to give me better than that. And I thought he <laughs> stepped his game up there. Yeah, that was pretty solid, actually. Herbert Hoover. What are our Indiana ties outside of Mr. Harrison?
0: Uh, well, Benjamin Harrison would be the only one that was actually at the time. Like Lincoln and, you know, he,
4: lived here, right? I mean, anybody else live here, have a little cameo here? Boy, that's a good
0: question. Um, I'm thinking here. So Harrison lived here. You know, he was actually... Okay, William Henry Harrison would be your other answer, Kevin, because William Henry Harrison was, in, was basically a military general who was in charge of essentially helping move westward the United States frontier movement and the battleground in Lafayette was where William Henry Harrison's men went and invaded against, I believe it was the Shawnee. Tecumseh was the general. Tecumseh had gone into the Iowa area, what is now Iowa, to basically recruit other Native Americans to come to defend the line, knowing that Harrison's men were coming. Uh, Tecumseh was gone. Harrison came in, overtook, and as a result of that, Harrison was awarded the land that is now the state of Indiana and that's why like southern Indiana in Ohio is called Harrison County like Harrison area. So Cincinnati oh, yeah, that's yeah. where that's where he lived. So and then he became so William Henry Harrison was the first governor of the Indiana territory. So there'd be your Indiana connection.
4: Well, on that note, uh, Harrison County, we mentioned that earlier. Uh, Joe tweeted at me, we, we rattled off the girls' state finals. The eight teams that are in the girls' state finals, you have two of them from Harrison County in the Fighting Gray-Greg gray, gray, gray Straws, Lanesville, and then Cordon Central. in uh, the first state capital, by the way. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Cordon. Have you been there? I have, yeah. We took a field trip there. We did the Wyandotte Caves. Uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, trying to think what grade it would have been. May six or 7th? Uh Speaking of caves, George Washington
0: also an active spelunker. Not active now. When he was living, he was <laughs> an
4: active spelunker.
0: Yeah, well, yes. thank, uh, thank you for clarifying yeah, that. Yeah, boy. Sure he, that was, <laughs> if he had been. He hasn't done it in clarity. While. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah, George Washington supposedly show. used to crack walnuts in his biceps. Used to what? Oh, crack walnuts in his biceps. Okay. Oh, wow
4: jeez oh, okay. mark on that note we'll do it one final time here kevin hey. bowen mark dykton jake query shout out to todd five for five on the president's impressive. pop impressive
1: all right thank you Nate. life is full of things to manage your work your family your plans and your treatment consider Kisimta ofatumumab 20 milligram injection you can take it yourself from the comfort of home if you're ready for something different ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta. And check out the details at Keysimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Atkins
4: and Alex Golden, both who joined us earlier. Happy President's Day to everybody out there. Nobody happier than Jay Query, who has been on it with his presidential trivia throughout the show this morning. Shout out to Todd, a perfect five for five on the presidential sports-centric pop quiz i'm not sure if the current guy in office jake would be too fleet of foot right now athletically (laughs) probably a fair statement yes
0: Uh, you know try to think in the in the term in which they were the president who would have been the most the most athletic during their presidency i mean obama would be just based on age alone would be the natural thought. I wonder who else would be in that grouping in terms of one at the time that they were the president. Like, Kennedy was a younger guy, but he had a lot of health issues, lower back issues. So I don't know that he would be up there. Maybe some of those Gerald older Ford photos. still have something in him? Yeah, Ford's probably not a bad call. Not a bad call there because, you know, he was so athletic and a strong guy in general. Um, you know, Ford, I've always felt like, is probably an underappreciated president because Ford basically took a political hit knowing that it would end his career within his party by pardoning Richard Nixon, but he knew it's what, it was what was needed for the country itself. And so I always felt like Gerald Ford was probably underappreciated in terms of putting the best interest of the country above the best interest of his own career. And I think when he passed away i think maybe that more was made of that you know um but i've always thought ford was probably a little bit underappreciated just my own thought um but i love kevin why do i feel like
4: every president from like the 1880s to 1890s why do i feel like every president from the 1880s to 1890s are just nobody even knows who they are I totally
0: agree i like i've always said the the bearded fat guy era. Like, does anybody know anything about Chester Arthur other than it was the name of the elementary school in one of the, um, oh, what's the, the movie, uh, Mark, really, help me stuck out. stuck
2: with you. I don't know.
0: No, with Bruce Willis, the, the series, the movies, the, is it a Christmas movie? Is it not a Christmas movie? Die Hard. Die Hard. Like Die Hard 4 or whatever they have mm-hmm. to evacuate Chester I Arthur elementary school. Hang
2: in there. Huh? I should have left you hanging there. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I should have left you hanging there. I would have gotten movies. it eventually. But I
0: do love, like when I travel, <laughs> I've always said this. If you're an IndyCar fan and you're going to the IndyCar race in Iowa, on the way there on I-80 in West Branch, Iowa is the Herbert Hoover Hoover Presidential Library. And I'm in Herbert Hoover, right? That's like probably the most, I mean, thought of by most people as one of the worst presidents because it led us to the Depression. But it's fascinating. Like the information they have and just, and most of the presidential libraries are pretty, objective like they're not designed to simply be good stuff about the president. But Hoover's entombed there. It's it's I mean you can do the whole thing in forty five minutes probably. It's very cool. His his home is right there. It's right off of the interstate um, which is fascinating. Additionally, the tomb of Warren G. Harding in Marion, Ohio, if you go to the IndyCar race at Mid Ohio, Marion's basically the closest town to where the racetrack is. Warren G. Harding's tomb at the time of his passing, I believe was the most expensive federal dollar towards a presidential monument in U.S. history at the time, and it's absolutely gorgeous. doesn't have a teapot dome over the top of it, but it's really nice, really, really nice.
4: (laughs) Well, this is from um, Listener Listener Ryan sent this. These are the top ten most athletic presidents. Eisenhower checks in at number two.
0: Top 10 most athletic, he said?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dwight Eisenhower, number two. The West that. Point linebacker famously battled Jim Thorpe in the 1912 Army Carlisle game. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. Uh, yeah.
0: Now, everybody's, like, distantly related to some president in some way, shape, or form. Uh, apparently, I'm, like, a seventh cousin three times removed to Dwight Eisenhower, for what that's worth. Maybe that's why he's so athletic. Uh, Dean joins us. What's up, Dean? Hey,
3: Jake. Um, Obviously, you're on the uh, President's Day uh, tour there. Um, But my uh, um, great-great-grandfather used to ride in the Rough Riders with uh, um, Roosevelt there back in the day. Really? During the uh, Spanish Revolutionary War. Now, see, Um, that's
0: super awesome. Now, in that capacity, Dean, has has your family... You know, do you guys have like any sort of heirlooms or anything like
3: that from those? Um, I have, I have articles, and we do have pictures and things like that of the group. It was a group of probably, let's say, forty gentlemen um, back in the day, but they were uh, they all obviously rode horses. Um, I forget the name of the ship, unfortunately, but they were in the Philippines and they were struck by a torpedo, and eventually had to throw their horses over. Um because of the ship being sunk, you know what I mean? So right, they had to lighten the load unfortunately.
0: Wow. So now let me ask you, hmm. Dean, is your family are you all like indigenous to Indiana? Or did your oh, yeah. did your relative well, live elsewhere?
3: Well, they, they were um, originally from Alabama, my bad. But then yes, ended up coming up here to Indiana. But um I've been here my whole life, so um but again it was just very interesting and No, that's
0: super interesting. I mean cool. and I've got a I've got a book dean on Teddy Roosevelt. I got a you know Kevin, you know how this works, right? Like you've got like a stack of six books that you keep meaning to get to that you haven't oh, gotten the yeah. chance to read yet. And one of those that I've I've really been wanting to get to is the biography of Teddy Roosevelt because you're right, he's super popular but like you just don't I don't know, like I feel like I don't know as much about him as I should.
4: And I feel like we know more about F- FDR than Teddy
0: totally no question about that all right one other call mark yeah uh mark what's up
6: hey how you doing today man i just want you guys know the three you guys make my day every morning um but i wanted to have a shout out to the 39th president uh right now that uh he's fighting for his life and and uh jimmy carter uh just wanted to have some uh prayers, prayers sent out to him
0: I appreciate that, Mark. Jimmy Carter, it was announced over the weekend, you know, at the age of 98, has elected to go into hospice care as opposed to continuing uh, medical care. I have always said that, you know, Jimmy Carter, there's no doubt that Jimmy Carter historians will not look back on his presidency probably as great. I mean, there were a lot of challenges that he had as a president. Um, but certainly and without question one of the most decent human beings to be president and probably not only has Jimmy Carter lived longer than any president at the age of 98 he has also enjoyed the longest post-presidency of any president he's been married to Rosalind for 76 years which is phenomenal but his work as a humanitarian um, in his post-presidency I think is absolutely a benchmark that anybody uh, could live up to in terms of just his decency towards his fellow people Uh, for Jimmy Carter. So Jimmy Carter, who was president from 1977 to 1981. By the way, Jimmy Carter in 1953, when his father passed away, Carter gave up his military career to move back to Georgia and work on the family's peanut farm i don't know kevin maybe the peanuts are what led him to be 98 years old longevity there right
4: <laughs> that's a hell of a run thank you to mark for that um we were talking about the toughest president earlier george washington had false teeth this is from a uh, a uh, someone on twitter george washington had false teeth and crosses the frozen delaware and high socks sounds like a great hockey player <laughs> that is that would have been that would have made him solid right that's a great point point. how about they we, we can debate this a lot more here in the coming I guess coming year really uh, but this is from Alex Golden Jake um I didn't think it got ringing endorsements last night but I I'll be curious what the uh halftime show looks like for the All-Star game here in Indiana next year Yeah
0: the, you know I mean obviously the the Pacers brass was out there you saw the pass the, the basketball that was passed over that seemed a little bit uh Ooh, that was awkward. to me but yeah it was pretty awkward um, but I'll be curious to see what all, you know, I think that they want the All-Star Game experience to expand beyond just downtown Indianapolis and kind of let the whole city enjoy it. It's a massive event. I mean, it's a major, major event, which is pretty cool. So uh, we'll see how that works out. By the way, Wade says, Jake in Plainfield, did you know that there's a Van Buren Elementary School? Yeah, because Martin Van Buren actually passed through Indiana in on U.S. 40 when he was the president. There's actually a huge tree there where I believe – his wagon uh, hit like a huge, basically the. I know this will shock people. The equivalent of a pothole, uh, and he got stuck in Plainfield when he was traveling through hmm. many, many years ago. Uh, that pothole's probably still there, actually on U.S. 40, right? Probably, and the Wi-Fi
2: no, certainly service yeah. is still awful well, yeah. too. Cell phone service not good. Uh-huh. They, he well, was just well, we he heard- was avoiding Rockville Road, <laughs> yeah. so he's smart That's in that the problem. regard. You know?
4: Yeah, we heard Todd earlier say from the streets of Carmel. So, you know, I mean, you know, people have just got to get through adversity to make it. Um, we should have, speaking of the All Star game, Bob Kravitz on later this week. I know Bob was out there along with Scott Agnes. Uh, Bob's latest up on the athletic, you know, I don't want to act like it was some horrific All Star weekend, but it definitely was not flawless for Bob out there. So um, I think that would be maybe a good thing for Indiana. Uh, tomorrow at 8.30, Mark?
2: Yep, Joe Wright's going to join us tomorrow at 8.30, just confirmed with him. Joe. Joe
4: Wright's tomorrow at 8.30. Uh, we'll get back into the Colts conversation again a week out from the NFL Combine descending upon Indianapolis.
0: All right, so Kevin, enjoy uh, the miniature golf later today, and we will talk again tomorrow <laughs> 7 a.m. Sound good? Yep, happy President's Day, everybody.